What's up, guys? I'm EJ. Thank you all for checking out this edition of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. We got a lot to talk about on today's show. Man, um, NBA playoffs, a lot of storylines. Not necessarily two of the happiest campers in terms of the results of the NBA players, given that I'm the Knicks fanless podcast. And, of course, Kendall's the Celtics fanless podcast. Um, have we started the... the uh, <laughs> have we started the... What did you call it? The, the Sleek Rick podcast? Oh, that's I, I feel like that's like oh man, you can't give it that away, man. That's one of the no comments. We won't we won't even talk about that. <laughs> that's you one don't, of no the, one knows what that means. That's one of the deep cover stuff that we working on here, new generation new generation. <laughs> Yo, you, you just remember that. You just remember that name, uh Slick Rick. <laughs> just leave it there. Uh <laughs> Oh man, this is a cold open. Uh yeah, so but yeah, obviously it wasn't the most exciting uh uh time for the for, for us being that the Knicks and Celtics both were bounced pretty quickly from the postseason so you'll be getting plenty of reaction to those uh exits and some of the fallout and the fallout with the Boston Celtics have been massive uh they no longer have Danny Ainge um they're now looking for a new head coach but the head coach that was there is still with the organization so <laughs> it's a big mess going on so I can't wait to get to talk about that we'll also talk about uh, obviously, we'll preview some of these games that will be happening in the Eastern Conference. The Western Conference still has a little bit to be determined as we record this podcast. Um, the the East uh, is totally set, obviously. Um, all the four teams that advance are already advanced. We have the schedule for, for when those series are about to get get going. So we'll give you guys a little bit of preview of those series as well. Um, and we'll also talk about uh, what will be the top of the show will be this, uh, this official retirement of Coach Mike Krzyzewski. He is leaving Duke University after this last season. He wants the farewell tour. It's the final hurrah. And um, and we'll we'll give you guys a little bit on what we think the ramifications are of that. And we'll just talk about uh, Coach K's legacy. So should be a great podcast. Uh, Kendall, of course, is my co-host on this podcast. And Kendall, I'd be remiss not to mention that we are recording this show uh, as the Suns and the Lakers are underway it is very early in the second quarter but it does not look good for the lakers who are down uh we both i'm watching them on a stream i know you had them on a tv so we may be off in terms of how 45 that's the score i have yeah they're down by they're down by 27 points in the second quarter uh i don't know what to make of this i mean well I, i know what to make of it but it's it's still stunning i think I think it's stunning, um, to be fair, and to, I guess, pat myself a little bit on the back. I did say this, the Lake, the Suns will win this series in six. But I think it's still stunning to see, you know, the Lakers, LeBron, and this championship team go out like that. Obviously, this team is not right for various reasons, one of them being, obviously, Anthony Davis, who exited this game extremely early after trying to give it a go with the strained groin. I knew that there was no way he'd be a, a factor with a strained groin, unless they were, unless somehow the, the groin wasn't strained, it was something else. I'm like, you got a strained groin, you're usually out for like, yeah, like Marcus Smart. I remember, I remember he missed like a month. With yeah, you're out like a month, like at least. Like that's like that's like not even a question. So when they say I'm gonna try to play, I'm like, uh, that's not gonna end well. So yeah, it's uh, so we we knew that that was gonna be rough. So it was gonna take a superhuman effort from LeBron, and LeBron just isn't in that shape to to do that right now when i say shape obviously you know he's had the ankle issue he hasn't played as much to end the regular season 
And that extra gear that we talk about with him, I saw a couple Lakers fans, you know, tweeting, hey, we need that Cleveland LeBron from 2018. He's not able to do that, at least not this season. I mean, could he do that next year or another time where they would be in need? Maybe. But given all the stuff that happened with them, that wasn't going to happen. But, you know, we talked about it a little bit off air, Kendall. I just was very surprised at how decisive everybody was that this Lakers team was definitely the team to beat in the West and was definitely getting out of the first round. And it just was funny to me how, like, I mean, people were, they would call you an idiot for thinking that the Lakers, you know, could be in trouble and might not go very far. Like, yeah. I mean, they were a seventh seed in the West. And we can say, okay, those injuries and stuff, all right, yeah, but those injuries play a factor when you actually play in the playoffs. It's not like, oh, when you get to the playoffs, everybody's back to zero. Like, whatever injuries you came in with the playoffs with, you leaving with the, with the same injuries. And uh, and it was just it was wild to me that that so many people just were like, no, nope, Lakers definitely getting it getting it done here. Anthony Davis had not looked good to me in a, for he didn't look good since he came back in terms of just his health factor. So him him going down is not surprising. But man, what what a what a stunner this is. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about the potential fallout of what 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 could what 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 will likely come from this later, but. In terms of what I'm seeing, what I'll say is, is there a little bit of similarities to the Dallas Lakers series where the Lakers got swept? Phil Jackson's last game as a coach, mm-hmm. they get destroyed in Dallas. Sweet, Bynum, uh, hip checks. Uh, hip check, Brand, JJ Brand. Yeah, I remember like, that. A hockey player suspended five games next season. Like, is, is there a lot of similarities? Well, again, this game's not over. We'll see. Maybe they come back. Maybe they fight. But, like, and this is at home. That game was on the road in Dallas. But, like, we all know after that, that was when the Lakers made the move, I believe, to get Dwight. Was it the next? Was that all season? When they got the white, that all season, yeah. That 2011 was when they lost. Um, I believe it's when they got the white and Nash, and you know the Achilles happened. Like that was the beginning of the end of the Lakers, right? Kobe, you know, in terms of them being uh, a contender, and I, you know, I don't want to go that far because when you have Anthony Davis, the top ten player or so in the league, uh, I would say top ten player. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. yeah, you know, the injuries or whatnot, you know, are obviously, you know, affecting him. But when he's healthy, certainly a top 10 player. Um, and you've got LeBron, who's a top 10 player right now. Like, so maybe I don't want to go that far, but people said the same thing about that Lakers team. Oh, yeah, you know, I, I, mean, I think I think this this reminds me. I, I, and it's funny. I felt like the series could mirror that series before this game, before it all started. I think this yeah. series, though, to be honest, reminds me a little bit more of a different one. And I actually got reminded of this series on Instagram. Shout out to the uh, Instagram account uh, Forgotten NBA Seasons. It's one of my favorite basketball Instagram accounts because I, I feel like it could be – I feel like it's my brain. Like, I don't know how many times a week I just go on Basketball Reference and just look up random teams in certain years and reminisce on, like, their seasons they had and things like that. And basically the account just – it just talks about, like, hey, remember when – Jerry Stackhouse made the All-Star game for the Pistons that year. Like, here's his stats yeah, and here's some highlights from that season. I'd be like, I remember that. Like, he was balling. Like, I love this account. 
And uh, today, this account put out a thing on the, I guess this would be the 2006 Bulls. It was the first year Ben Wallace was there. And, yeah, he didn't play that well for them. But but, but what was noteworthy about that team was they uh, beat the defending champion Miami Heat in five games. And if you guys ever see that uh, Alonzo Mourning shaking his head gif when they're getting blown up by, like, 40 points, and I think that was a deciding game. That's what that that's what that series is from. It's from that series. Right. It's from it's in in before that series, it was very similar. It was this idea that, oh, the Bulls had a good season, but I mean, it's the Heat. They just won a championship. They got Shaq. You know, D Wade's been hurt, but he'll figure it out. Like it'll be fine when they get to the playoff. I mean, it was very similar, the narratives. Even though the Bulls were the better team in terms of the regular season. And they were the upstart team, and they were on the rise. All the same narrative that I heard with this Lakers thing was what I was kind of hearing with the Heat. So and the Bulls the scary got the Heat. Part about they that. got the Heat out of there. <laughs> so are, are you telling me that uh, LeBron in twenty twenty one is basically Shaq in 07? <laughs> so I don't want to go that far, <laughs> and and that I don't I don't think that the I don't think that the fallout will be the same. Like that Heat team, the next year won like sixteen games. Like it was it was bad. Uh, I don't think it would be anything like that. But I do think that the approach to this season and how it all ended is, to me, almost identical. It was, was guys, guys were injured. They weren't right. People just assumed that because they were the Heat and because uh, they had Pat Riley and they had all these guys that <laughs> they just were a shoo-in to be like the representatives out of the East. And it was all ridiculous. It was, just a, it was a ridiculous concept given all they had been through. And they got bounced. Uh, uh, eventually that year, I believe LeBron uh, took his team to the finals the first time. That was the first one yeah. in Cleveland. So, uh, so that was that's how that ended up turning out. But it was a uh, yeah. That's, that's that's an interesting that, that that that's what this reminds me of. Either one is a scary di- sight for Laker fans. But yeah, you we'll, know. Yeah, it's we'll not get to good. that. We'll get to the future later in the show. Yeah, shout out to Jid as well. It's it's all bad either way you look at it. Um, but yeah, we'll, yeah. As this game uh, progresses, and again, we'll see the we Lakers feel, when we feel back. better about the Lakers being done. We will, we can right. Our, yeah, because they look, they're the champs, and and you know, there's plenty of there's plenty of basketball to be played. The only good thing about this blowout right now is it's so early, it's so early. Like right. it's like if you want to get blown out, you probably want to get blown out in the first quarter, which is what happened. So they got a whole half to figure this out, but right now they're down twenty uh, something points. So we'll see how this all ends up shaking out, but. Um, I will get to more stuff about the NBA playoffs in a bit. I want to talk about Coach K, who officially announced his impending retirement. This was, uh, as I said, the streets have been talking about this for a long time now. Um, this is something that yes. on the underground, people, uh, one of the guys, shout out to, I guess, Mark Titus, I think. I think he was the one that kind of been saying, uh, yo, man, this retirement's coming. One of them guys uh, was saying yeah, Tate Frazier is the one from, from North Carolina. So it may, be, may have been It one. might have been Tate Frazier. I, I know. And forgive me to both those guys if I'm mixing yeah. one of them up. But one of those Tate. guys was very adamant for a while saying, yeah. Coach K is out of here. And, what do um, we call it? Um, Matt Jones from Kentucky Sports Radio floated something out there, and then he deleted it. And that, that really got everything going. Jason McIntyre from Fox Sports said he had heard some stuff. Trevor Trout from Elite Media came out and said that we're gonna get the last dance. So there's some people out there that definitely uh, floated out there, but it was never official. And 
Yeah, I mean, there were days where they said, oh, get ready for today, and then nothing happened to you. Yeah, like, nothing oh, happened. Maybe, maybe this is all just nonsense. Because, yeah, maybe it was. A lot of nonsense gets spread on social media regarding people's futures and <laughs> things like that. Like, you'll just see something. And people call and be like, they just made that up. I don't know where they got that from. So, you never know for sure. But this was something that definitely had been percolating for, I would say, at least weeks, maybe even months, that, you know, Coach K's the, last the idea dance was, was, was that this might happen started when Roy Williams did it. That came out of nowhere. No one knew yeah. that. When that happened, the question started to become, well, what about Coach K? Why would Coach K continue? He sees Roy retire. But it, it, it didn't become buzz until the last couple of weeks, like you mentioned. Um, I mean, you talk about just a huge, just a huge shift in the, in the, in the, in the, Dynamics and the power dynamics of college basketball, right? Um, really, college oh, sports. You're talking about Roy Williams and Coach K. Those guys transcend the college sport, the idea of college basketball. They 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 are household names in the college sports I mean, landscape. I, 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 saw, I, saw, I saw someone make I saw someone make the case that Mike Krzyzewski is the most in, impactful and iconic figure in college sports history. Um, I'm not I'm not going to be one to just throw that and say that that's definitely wrong like he's you said impactful recognizable and impactful and iconic iconic yeah i mean i think he has to be impactful is a strong word i don't know that 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 takes a lot of thought that i can't give right now in terms of iconic you can make a very strong case from a brand from a you know recognizable aspect recognition standpoint because to me the the only argument against him is wooden and then i would say okay well then he's the mod he's the modern most right wooden and then wooden was such a long time ago where college sports were not what they are now right like not what they have been in the last four years like coach k is not like i'm saying coach k in 2021 coach k 2021 might not be as big as coach k was in but regardless, yeah, it, like 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 comparing Coach K to John Wooden in some in some aspects to me feels like comparing, uh, like our Pujols to like Babe Ruth, right? It's kind of like I, I can't say Albert Pujols. Like, I, I, he's way better. I mean, he's way better than Albert Pujols. I, I, oh, <laughs> well, I mean, Pujols is better than Jeter, but that's sorry, oh, Yankee oh, fans. Oh, I know oh, y'all gonna oh. go crazy. Oh, uh, you're a Mets fan. But uh, he was better than Derek Jeter. I'm not getting to that. Anyway, <laughs> my point being, like, take whatever contemporary star of the sport or iconic player so of the it, sport. It, like, it to say that, oh, this guy is more iconic. It's like, well, he's more iconic to who? Like, like Wooden is iconic, obviously, in Los Angeles and UCLA community and to college basketball as a whole, of course. But to people that are engulfed in college basketball and college sports today – who is he iconic to? I, I can't say he's more iconic than Coach K. But the no, argument is, yeah, no, but if you look at his totality and how people was such over time, you could say it's wooden. I, I'm not wooden to me I can feel echoes, I can understand that argument. But today there's no question who it is. Wooden to me echoes more so closer to uh, like a Gino Oriema, where the dominance was so crazy and like and of course women's college basketball from a um, from just a notoriety standpoint, isn't isn't obviously the same as men's college basketball, but in terms of their accomplishments, um, the the legendary status, like everyone, no one, no, there's not even a question 
I mean, Gino has to be. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm not a, I'm not a women's college basketball expert, but I don't think there has to be any conversation that Gino is the all-time great at this point. Um, so that's why that, I think that echoes closer. Whereas Coach K doesn't have – he has a lot of championships, <laughs> a lot of wins, but they – but I don't think that. But I think a lot of people would still maybe lean Wooden for the amount of dominance that he had at UCLA. It's a different time, so that obviously has to be uh, considered. Mm-hmm. But when you talk about Coach K, like he's almost more similar to Pat Summit in that regard. Where like Pat Summit, I think, is a is almost bigger brand than Gino Oriema. You know, even though Gino you know, yeah. might actually I, be a better coach. I think the only the only thing about the Oriema, there are a lot of parallels between Oriema and Wooden. I think the only the only aspect of it that where I disagree and why I think Wooden compares very favorably to Coach K in that fight of who's the most iconic, the impactful figure in college sports is because to me, Oriema, as great as he is and as accomplished as he is, when we're talking about these like uh you know in rap we call them the God MCs, you know, when you're talking about these God level college coaches, it's all respect. I'm not dissing anybody here. But with that being said, Gino, to me, and it's only my opinion, he doesn't transcend basketball. Like, to me, Gino, like, what we think of, and Gino is a character, but what we think of Gino in terms of the large scale of, of him as a figure is just his team winning all the time. Yeah. I feel like Wooden and K on a different level. Cause with Coach K, it's, the Cameron Crazies is slapping the floor. It's a certain um, just aura about being a Dukey and what that means and who you become after you leave Duke. And to me, UCLA in many ways was the first Duke. Like it was, you know, the pyramid of excellence or whatever that thing yes. Wooden did. Was it? Is it called the pyramid? Did I get that right? <laughs> um, uh, it's pyramid of something. Um, yeah. uh, you know, and and, and uh, his it was teachings, that, his philosophies are his teachings and philosophies. Like, they oh, they well, go well, beyond. Well, yeah, they go way beyond basketball. I mean, he's written multiple books about just life and stuff. Like, like I think, you know, someone made the case that the four coaches we've named today, Wooden, Summit, Oriema, and K, are are the Mount Rushmore. And I could live with that if that was a consensus. I think, to me, though, I think what kind of stands um, Wooden apart and why him and Coach K are so similar and why I look at those two as the guys is – to me, again, this idea that they, they transcend even basketball. Like, what they represent goes beyond basketball excellence. And it's why, and for, for K, it's fascinating because it, it's part of why people hate him so much. Like, And I think everybody respects K, but in terms of hate his teams and hate Duke as a university and, like, their school and just the, the, just the, the sport competition about it, you know, because there's a, a level of pretension that is just inevitable when that's how you present your program. But, but I, I think that that, to me, is what makes... Like, to me, Coach K is the modern-day wooden. You're never going to have a coach win 11 straight championships or whatever he did. I, I keep saying whatever. I, I mean, all respect, again, to what Wooden accomplished. But, like, you know, all those wins in a row, and all, like, that's, that's never going to happen again. So you say, okay, well, what's the closest you can get to that, and what's realistic? Like, what... This is a career Mike Krzyzewski has crafted for himself and the program he's established at Duke is the equivalent. Like, that's something that is going to be very hard to duplicate again. Like, it's... I I don't know if it's possible. 
to go to yeah. a, ma- a major it's conference, great. to make, go to a major conference school and sustain that kind of excellence and transcend basketball in a way that that school program did. Other people may go to small schools, I mean, in small schools and big conferences and win, but to do, make them Duke, I don't know. It, it's special. What makes, what makes Coach K even more special, I don't say even more special than it would, but what makes, I almost say what even makes his career more special, but like, to me, what makes Coach K so unique, not even, I'm not even comparing him to anybody else, but just what makes him so unique in, in his own right, right, is that, like, he, unlike Wooden, Wooden coached at UCLA for 27 years. Coach K has been at Duke for over 40. It's, they, I mean, they're, they're both a long time. So I'm not using this to say that Wooden didn't have to deal with this. But I feel like from 1948, Wooden took the job to 1975, the amount of changes in the landscape of college basketball and the amount of changes in the landscape of society weren't as huge as Coach Gaze dealt with since he took over in what, like 1978 or something like that, or whatever he took over to now when he's retiring. Like, he's had to deal with so many shifts and changes in, like, the sport that wouldn't have to deal with maybe even bigger changes in society with, like, you know, like the integration of black players, you know, and, you know, like, you know, different things. And, of course, wouldn't have to deal with a lot of things in, you know, the civil rights era. Like, he coached through all of that. So credit to him, and that that can't be ignored. But in terms of in terms of Coach Gay having to deal with, like, again, he came in in an era where players and also wouldn't didn't start winning championships until 1960 and then retired in 75. Like, Coach K won his first title when? 1980? Uh, I, I don't have the number. I believe I know he it was 19, 19, 1991. In 1991, he won. He went, he went to the Final Four, went to the title game, I believe, right? With Johnny Dawkins? Yeah, he went to the Final Four in 86 and in 88. 86. In 88. Um, so to have that evolution where you start out, you're an elite coach in the 80s. And I'd say Wooden was an elite coach. I'm sure he was all throughout the 50s and 40s. But yeah, you don't win that. Just because you don't win a title doesn't mean you're not an elite coach. But like to have that evolution and continue to stay as a winning coach and continue to evolve to me is what was so impressive about Coach K. Um, to go through... A time where you win when you make the final four in '86, or you win in '91, you're winning with four-year guys. And to go from that to in the late '90s, you you start bringing guys like Elton Brand and Corey Maggette that leave after a year or leave after two years. And you have to go through the evolution of oh yeah, I'm recruiting a guy like Kobe Bryant who wants to come, but then he goes to high school. Mm-hmm. That wasn't something Coach John wouldn't have to deal with. Yeah, goes to the, the NBA. Problem. Yeah, coming out. I mean, coming, it goes to the NBA out of high yeah. school. And now he doesn't go to Duke and other guys that have that obviously have done that, and to still win through that through those years, and then you go to with a lull. Yeah, I mean I don't know what the gap was between his his his, his twenty his two thousand and whatever it was two thousand ten championship and is the one before, prior to that, but you have you have a you have a, a an era in which now the high school thing is done, and you have to now win with one and done players and. He didn't win any championships with any one of them players, but he's been very successful. And now, well, he did. He did get I, one. He 
he did get one with Jaleel and those guys. He did win. Yeah, right. my yeah. my mistake. I totally yeah. forgot about that. I've thought about all the all the times that Mercer and Lehigh and all the teams <laughs> right. talked about. He, you know, no disrespect to Coach K. I thought about all those times. I forgot about the yeah, fact he, that they he, he did get one. 2015. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, he got one with. So he he adapted and has coached. You know, a, a, he's done the John Cobb Harried. I mean, whatever we we we're gonna say about John Cobb Harried when his career is over, Coach K did that for not as long of a time, but he did it as well. So the the ability to evolve is what's so impressive. Um, and you gotta give you gotta tip your hat. You gotta tip your tip your cap because that's not easy. A lot of coaches, and you know, look. There's been the conversation. Some sources have said, oh, he's doing this because similar to Roy Williams, the game is getting the game is getting out of control with the transfers and the transfer portal and the the G League and all this different stuff. And he doesn't want to have to compete with all this and it's a different game. And he he squashed it today and some of it I think look, probably that all that stuff probably had a an impact. But he had a good answer where he's like Look, I've been doing this for forty years. Right, I've dealt with a lot of changes, and which he, which he's right. Like he's dealt with yeah. so much. Why am I supposed to believe that he couldn't have evolved with to the transfer portal, or he couldn't have evolved to the D League? He evolved when they, when they, when high school players are going to the NBA, when they stop going to the NBA. Like who makes me think right, that he yeah. couldn't have gone back? You know, like Duke is Duke. He would have been great regardless. It's, but he doesn't want to have to do that when he's seventy five. Like he doesn't right. have to. Yeah, and I think that's either. the diff- I think that's the difference. Like, like do I like? Do I think there was like? It's like weird. Like, do I think there was some cap in that answer? Yeah, but I don't. Of course. I don't. I don't think that. I don't care honestly because I think to me the context of how old he is matters. Yeah. And the answer he's giving you, I think there is truth to it. It's like I. He's not doing this quitting for forty six years. Time. Like yeah, and the games are changing. Can I continue? This? Yeah, but like, I mean. I don't know how much longer I got anyway, and maybe I don't want to go through this change if I don't have to. Like, but but I, I don't think that it's the sole reason why he's leaving. I think he right. probably looked at that and was like, oh, I don't want to deal with that. Right, let's get out of here. I'll try and get out of here anyway. So this is probably the time to do it. But I, I think that like it's it's one of those things where he some people you know have, have challenged him, said you know is that hypocritical for him to when these guys are finally about to get some bread all over you know above the table and above board that he you know now says this is a you know. He did again. He didn't say any of these things, but it's, the reporting is that he doesn't like it, and that you know he 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 decided to just take his ball and go home because he doesn't like that. Um, you know, I I don't know if that's fair. And I look, we, you guys listen to this podcast. I mean, I think me and Kendall have been sometimes very harsh to Coach K over the last some odd <laughs> years, but I think we all we're but we're fair. I think, and I think um, to me, I don't think it's fair to suggest that because a guy who's that old. And whose career really should be winding down anyway, who to me is acted like a guy who didn't want to coach the last few years. To me, in terms of how he talks, how he approaches things, he definitely didn't act like he didn't want to coach this year. I, I can't use that and say, oh, well, this is why he's getting out. I'm like, he sounds like he's been wanting to get out. And maybe this was just the last thing he needed to say, yeah, you know what? This is probably my time. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I don't, I don't, I'm not tripping that he wants to leave at this time. Um, but man, what a what what a journey! Like what a coach! Like what a, a complete icon! I mean, it's crazy, like to me, to think me and you have talked about this day for probably a decade. Yeah, ten years. You know, at least a decade, and, and we talked about it on this podcast since we started this podcast. 
what is Duke on the day Coach K leaves? And I think we all thought it'd be much sooner. Like, we talked about 10 years, so we thought it'd be much sooner than 10 years. And we well, thought on this podcast, I think we thought it'd be much sooner than five years. Like, we, we won't. We, we don't have to go too in-depth about what this means overall because we'll we'll talk a little bit about this on the uncommitted. But sure. the battle for the cowl for the Duke coaching job, it's something we've talked about, like you said, for over a decade. Yeah. You know, since I've t- loved college basketball, it's been a conversation of at one point when I, when I first was a huge college basketball fan, you know, well over a decade ago, it was, oh, Tommy Amaker. You know, or Johnny Dawkins, like those were the two guys, and ultimately, according to Jeff Goodman, those were still the two guys that that they looked that they, that they looked at. Besides John Shire, obviously John Shire, assistant former player on that 2010 national title team that will be succeeding Coach K as head coach. But I mean, we've gone through how many assistants that we thought at one point was going to be the guy. I mean, Chris I mean, Collins, Wojo, Chris Collins. Wojo. Uh, you know, we can't forget about Mike Bray. Um, Mike Bray, yeah. Uh, for years, people were telling me Mike Bray was going to. We can't, we can't admit, we can't forget about Quinn Snyder. We going Snyder way back in the day, and like, I think he put himself back in the race with the success he's had with the Jazz. Right. Yeah. Where people kind of were like, "Oh, maybe we'll just go to Quinn Snyder." Yeah, now, I mean, of course, there's a ton of dude, dude might have got a show. He might have got a show clause. <laughs> we're taking him, but uh, um, but yeah, no, no question. Brad Stevens, obviously, people well, who we'll talk about later. People obviously have been talking about that for a ten for ten years now, like, and then obviously Jeff Capel most recently was the guy that people thought, oh, if he if he sticks around, they might give him this job. It's funny. I never said this on the show. I've always I've always held this idea because I, I I almost saved it for like if we ever did a video on it. But the guy I thought would replace Coach K, given the way teams have made coaching hires recently. I thought there was a chance that Grant Hill would replace Coach K. Wow. There was a time where I didn't think Shire was ready. I didn't think – I thought he had to prove himself. I was like, man. I also stuck in the old way of thinking, like, oh, man, you've got to go to DePaul first or you got to go to, you know, someplace and win. And, I mean, he look, he was the smart one that was like, no, I'm just going to stay here. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to go to St. John's and, then, <laughs> you know, win 15 yeah. games and, I, and I'm going to be out of a doubt. Like, he was the smart one that was like, I'm going to wait. And I'm gonna be the successor, but but yeah, I thought it was gonna be Grant Hill. I thought they were gonna do the former player thing, um, and he was the only guy with the cachet. Once all those other guys failed, I was like, man, the only guy with the cachet to replace Coach K is Grant Hill. But once Grant Hill did the USA bas- took the USA basketball job, I knew that was out of the that was out of the picture. So yeah, John Shire. I mean, again, we'll talk about some of the, the some of the future aspect of it, but um, is this how you expected them to go? I feel like to me, it feels it feels inevitable because I think the the issue with those other guys who kept leaving was I, I always I think I always envisioned that Coach K would probably do a farewell tour. Like I didn't imagine that he would retire like after a season ended. Like it just didn't seem like his style. I, it's not like an affront of his character. It, it just to me, he seems like the kind of guy that would probably say this is my last year kind of thing. So for those guys that left, like how do you either you do a coaching waiting or you just you just make or like five or six schools and NBA teams are in a position where they know at the end of the season like their guy is going to be <laughs> in the talking uh, in the conversation for this gig when it comes open and that's a very weird awkward position to put multiple schools in. So 
with you're that, recruiting, like you're recruiting is, is yeah, not, you're you got to recruit like it, it, it was a disaster. So to me, like as this thing kind of played out, especially as those other guys struggled, it kind of seemed inevitable. But you had to do a coaching waiting, and if you do that, it has to be a guy that's just there, and the only guy there that makes any kind of sense is Shire, who is ready to be a head coach. Like he could have. Yeah. Hey, John wanted them a couple of years ago. Yeah. DePaul wanted them this cycle, this this offseason. Like, and he would have been a great hire for either one of those two programs. And yeah, I mean, I mean I those, guys, those other guys. Those other guys. Work. A lot of these guys haven't worked. But, like, re- pedigree and resume-wise, he's earned his right to be a head coach. It, have you earned the right to be the head coach at Duke? The Duke is the problem, right. You know, I look, again, I mentioned this with the Hubert Davis thing. In the – Traditional way of thinking about college basketball, absolutely not. I mean, but when I think about the success that guys like Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley have had in college football, you know, where they just picked up right where the program left off, Duke is the number one example of a team that should run itself. I mean, I know Coach K is like, you know, he goes way bigger than Duke. So maybe there will be some hiccups for, for, for Shire, but. Like, at the same time, it's still Duke basketball. And Shire should be able to get guys to go to Duke. They should still be able to win basketball games if he can coach any <laughs> if he knows how to coach any basketball, which I would assume he does at this point. So that's gonna be that that that's gonna be interesting. But that this will be the test, even more so than Hubert Davis. Because Hubert Davis, if we're being honest, like I said before, like he is coming from a team that has struggled the last couple of years at North Carolina. So that was a little more awkward. Where it's like, I mean, it's not like we've been, not like we've, we've been, you know, just killing it <laughs> during the winning games uh, in North Carolina the last two years. But, but he still also understands the years prior. Like he was there with Marcus Page and stuff. So I, I totally get the hire, and I was that was the guy I thought they should have hired. But with Duke, like Shire, has also been here for all those years with Zion, with Tatum, with Ingram. I mean. The last five, six, seven years he's been there. So I get that as well. But at the end of the day, like, did those guys, Tatum, Zion, Ingram, Bagley, you know, RJ, Barrett, like, did all of those guys, did they go there for John Shire? Or did they go to their play for Coach K? You know, so that's going to be. Yeah, I mean, that's, that, that's that's always the thing when it comes to following a legend. And there is, you know, I I, I don't know how John Shire is going to do. Um, But to me, there is this feeling of, this feels like the guy that you get when you following a legend, like it. Right. He, like it. It doesn't have to be. He could he just, be. Like, I've seen this. He could. So he many could times. Yeah. I know. Like he could be Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley. He could one hundred percent be that. Like I'm not putting a ceiling on him at all. But he does. It does feel like he could be the guy that you get before you get the guy to follow the legend. <laughs> like this isn't like super bold or innovative or. Um, or even, it's, it's it's not even really safe. Like you're only guy who's never coached before, um, as a head coach, but it is comfortable because he's been in the or whatever the iteration Duke is today. Like Kendall mentioned, all those different iterations we've seen of Duke in the last four decades. Like he's been in the in the in the center of this current iteration. So and the one prior to that, <laughs> right? And the one prior, and he That's played right. in the one prior. So it's like so like it's. So in some ways, like it just again, that's why I say it. I feel like it feels inevitable. I can't say 
for sure who's the best hire because I just I don't know what he is as a head coach. I get the feeling that if Coach K felt this good about making him the because uh, apparently he was very much involved in this coaching waiting situation. And the fact that he felt this comfortable to say, nope, Shire is the guy, and he's 33 years old, which is the age I started. I mean, it seems like he's thought this out pretty well. And I'm going to give Kay a little bit of a benefit of the doubt that if he thinks Shire can do this, I'll believe him until I'm told otherwise. It definitely is a situation where I feel those other guys, um, those other guys hoodwinked themselves. Like, they should have never left. Like, like those guys took John Jeff Cable to me was the was the those, one. Those, those guys took mediocre jobs, and to me, I I want there is part of me that wonders: Did any of those guys feel like maybe not necessarily the guys who left before, but maybe Cable? Like, did they did they get a feeling that Shire was going to be the guy even back then? That's what I th- that is my interpretation. Like, which, I'm wondering if like those guys left saying like Coach K really I, seems to be grooming some- Shire. Right. I need to go somewhere else. And maybe they went somewhere thinking, I need to, like, actually, like, put some numbers in. So it's going to be a tough well, yeah, decision the for them to, pit, to pass me up. That, that's, the, that's the one that they didn't make any sense because it was clear you were their top assistant, their best recruiter. He was the guy that when he became, when he left Oklahoma where he got Blake Griffin and all these top recruits, Willie Warren, all these guys, and then he left Oklahoma – Went back to Duke, and then all of a sudden they started getting top recruits. Like it was clear that he was their most important cog on the coaching staff. It didn't make any sense why he would leave to coach Pitt when Coach K seemed like he was on the back nine of his career. But the issue is that Jeff Cable was not—he he wasn't awful, but like he was so media, he was so average at Oklahoma. Keep it, just keep it. He didn't. He got yeah. fired. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and you know he had some NCAA issues, but ultimately as a coach, he was not great. So. That was always the thing for me. Was it was Duke really going to hire Jeff Capel, who was already largely not to say unsuccessful? Because again, that's that's a little harsh. They had some good years at Oklahoma, but was you know an underachiever on some level at Oklahoma. Are you really going to hire that guy to coach Duke only because he's been the assistant? I wouldn't have been like it's the worst thing in the world, but you know I think. Him going to Pitt made sense if you felt like I have to clean up my head coaching track record. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I don't blame Johnny Dawkins for taking Stanford. That was that I means a great coaching job. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. it will be following Mike Montgomery. You know, I, yeah, right. I'll I'll be the coach at Stanford. It's it's Duke West. I could turn this into a power. It didn't work. And, and there's got to be something to this too that you know we can't escape that you know obviously the money you're paid to be a head coach at a major program is different than even being an assistant at Duke. I'm sure the Duke Absolutely. assistant job pays very well, but Absolutely. the idea that you know, you, I don't know if those guys. I don't know those guys on my staff are millionaires for coaching at Duke. Yeah. I don't. I don't think so. But you're a millionaire I, I, as soon as you coach Stanford or uh, yeah. uh, uh, Marquette or Northwestern, you're you're a millionaire immediately. Multi. So, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So. So that that also could be a decision those guys made, but it just makes me interesting. Again, you mentioned yeah, Capel, and I agree. Move wise, you had like, even more. Like, I wonder now, if if they talking. they got the idea that that Shire was being groomed to be the guy, maybe earlier than we thought. The guy to me that is tough is Tommy Amaker because I think Tommy Amaker has done a hell of a job at Harvard. Yeah, he's been there probably longer than he should be. I think it's look, it's a it's a great job to have. Like not great if you're trying to win a national championship, but it's a great job if like 
like, look, Harvard basketball has been awful for its entire existence. And now they're like, not only a perennial tournament team, but they're the perennial favorite in the Ivy League every year. Why would they? They're never going to get rid of him. So he hasn't left. And it's Harvard. Like, yeah, great. I'm coaching at Harvard. <laughs> like, that's a very prestigious job to have. But, you know, he could have gotten other jobs, I'd imagine. And they still went back to Amherst because I think they realized, I mean, look, the guy's a very good coach. He's a great recruiter, as he's proven at Harvard and, and as well. I feel, and I feel like if there was a coach that's out there right now that really, to me, defines the legacy of Coach K the most, I would say, is Amaker. Right. I mean, some people may say it's Johnny Dawkins. Like, like, Johnny Dawkins is such a supreme talent. But to me, like, Amaker being the point guard, being the head, um, I don't know, something about him, I think, would have made the most sense And to, to, to be me, the next head coach. I so think I, about Amaker, the only thing that... that Amaker was that he's been away from the Duke ethos for so long. I think so too. That you can't it goes back to that Ryan Day thing where it's like he doesn't even know. Like he knows because he's, look, I'm sure he talks to Coach K probably every year. But like multiple times every year. But like he doesn't really know the work that's been done since Duke has been the one and done factory. John Shire knows everything. Right, exactly. And so, if you're talking about keeping the juice going, I totally it's more risky that Tommy Amaker fumbles this than John Shire. Yeah, it, you know, even though he's probably he's certainly more proven as a head coach, um, it's just if you're talking about again keeping the juice alive and not wanting yeah. to take things. If yeah, they mean, were bad, if Duke had a awful season, they've been really shaky the last three four years. But it's all oh, but it's Coach K, like. When Penn State had their coaching change, obviously that was through a lot of scandal and stuff. Yeah, that was, that was, yeah, that was scandal related, right? Yeah, you know, but like they weren't even like there was they, like they weren't playing great football anyway. So it was like we need to shake this thing up, you know, like start from the and there are also other reasons why, but in part because part of it was we also need to shake this thing up. It's not like we're like Ohio State was going through scandal, not nearly as similar, not nearly as serious, but. They were also going through scandal when they got rid of um, Urban Meyer and when they got rid of Jim Tressel. But they were like, well, we've actually been good. So let's, let's both in both situations, let's try. <laughs> let's try one of his assistants. So right. um, that's the thing about Duke is that they've been so good. If they had been struggling, I think Amaker would have had a real shot. But I, for him, I think he's got to find a way to go someplace else. But that's that's a whole nother Oh, and, and like I said, I, I think that I think you know. I mean, look, if Shire takes gets a stranglehold of that thing and and does the job, then I mean, that job may not come up ever come up again for a long time because he's so young. But, um, but at the same time, you know, again, Shire's unproven, and and maybe if this doesn't work out, you know, Shire's gonna have a much shorter leash than obviously you know K did for sure. You know, so those other so a guy like Amaker, maybe he comes back to the fold three four years from now if it doesn't work out. Um, I feel like to me, those two guys probably would have made the most sense. I think it, it could have been a coin flip. I think it could have went either way. I think the, all the men, all the reasons you mentioned for keeping the juice alive is why they went with Shire. And I don't think those are bad reasons. Again, I think if you want to talk about the legacy of Duke and what that means and what that represents and nostalgia, and that stuff matters at Duke. And it matters a lot of these colleges. It's not nothing. Um, yeah. To me, 
America would have been the pick. And you want, like, the idea that someone who knows what it's like to be a head coach and stuff. Like, right, the everybody experience. made the most sense. And also, the, so the, it, the, it was a coin flip. But those are the two guys. Goes, the last thing I'll say is that the other thing that went in Shire's direction that I think helped him is Duke has promoted the last... I mean, their social media department is the best in college sports, mm-hmm. um, basketball, but... And Duke, I mean, Duke, men's and women's basketball, because the stuff they've done with Carol Lawson has also been incredible. Yeah, yeah their media program, their, their SID office, their... their, their yeah, the PR, yeah, it's yeah. incredible. Um, but... Like I want, I want to, I want to sign. I want to, I want to, I, I want to be a part of the brotherhood. Just I know, yeah. <laughs> or the they sisterhood. Just they make it look. They make it look so damn cool. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But what what they like to tout is that idea of the brotherhood, and they love talking about all the dookies that are in the NBA right now. And John Shire knows every single one of those guys very close. <laughs> Pretty much every yeah. single one of them that's in the NBA. Not to say Tommy Amaker doesn't know any of them, but. Not the same way John Shire does. Yeah. Jason Tatum pulls up to practice. That's his boy, John Shire. Right. You know, that's that's the guy, you know, Tatum from St. Louis, Shire from Chicago. They mm-hmm. go back and forth all the time about that. Like, yeah. you know, Kyrie go, pull, pulls up to practice. Like, I mean, did he play with John Shire? Or was Shire? No. I don't know. Shire might have been gone. Shire might have been. Smith, yeah, he might have been right after him. Yeah. Yeah, but Nolan Smith played with Kyrie. Nolan Smith, yeah. I would imagine, was going to stay on the staff with Shire. Like, those things are going to be important. You know, obviously Zion, RJ Barrett, Brandon yeah, Ingram. Course. You can go through the list of guys that John Shire and Nolan Smith have, have coached. You know, I mean, that stuff is going to be very important, you know. Yeah, having those guys on speed dial when it comes to recruiting is going to be, uh, yeah, like yeah. Said, very. Like very Tommy important. Amaker, like that, he, he, they went to the same school, but, you know, it's not the same. Yeah. But, uh, man, shout out to Coach K on a great career. And uh, the Duke situation moving forward is definitely one of the more fascinating situations in sports. And we'll be continuing to keep a close eye on this. I do want to talk about the NBA playoffs. So, like I said, uh, at the top of the show, the Eastern Conference is pretty much set. Um, The Western Conference is is beginning to crystallize. I want to start um, with the East. So, we had the Heat get bounced in a sweep. We had uh, by the Bucs. The Bucs advanced. You had the Celtics losing five. Uh, the Nets advancing in that series. The Celtics making big changes to their front office. The Hawks take care of the Knicks in five games. So they advance to face the Nets. Um, and then the Sixers, of course, the Carapaces against the, against the um, Wizards. They'll they end up facing uh, Atlanta. But there is this kind of lingering issue with Joel Embiid and his uh, torn meniscus that he's going to be dealing with for the rest of the postseason. So there are a lot of different angles we can go with this. I guess probably the first one I want to lean, lean on is Embiid because Philly, you know, number one team in the East, they were pretty dominant for the majority of that series against Washington. Obviously, Washington did get one game, to, so they were able to uh, secure the gentleman sweep as opposed to the uh, conventional one. But Philly, I think, you know, because of the way the bracket shook out, I think they were in a position where I think they felt like they just got to just get to the conference finals. And if it's most likely Brooklyn, but even if it's Milwaukee, like they want to be in that position healthy and ready to go because that was probably going to be the series that, of course, was going to be the toughest on their quest to getting to the NBA finals. I don't know. Today, I just I just feel like Philly feels done to me. Um, that may sound harsh, 
But you're talking about Embiid playing on a torn meniscus? That just doesn't sound good. I mean, I know guys have played on it. And it was kind of bizarre how he even got it. Because, again, he, he went down with a back injury. And he didn't come back in the game. It said his knee was sore. He's had this uh, issue with this knee in the past. Um, but to me, I, I the fact that Philly is being so kind of coy with what his health has been since he went down, and now that we know it's a meniscus thing, I, I I just don't think that Philly can beat those other top teams uh, without Embiid fully healthy. I think they that they they may have trouble with Atlanta if Embiid really misses some games here. So this this feels like doomsday right now for them. I know they won. They won handily. They're still a really good team, but this is obviously really bad for the Sixers. Yeah, nah, they 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 have no chance. Obviously, well, I don't think. Let me let me be careful about <laughs> about what I say. But yeah, I mean, it's going to be extremely tough for their team to beat either Brooklyn or Milwaukee uh, without a healthy Embiid. <sighs> Ultimately. If Embiid plays, like, they have a chance. It's, um, I think even if Embiid plays, I don't, I don't think that they're – I wouldn't favor them against either team. But what the Sixers have to – to me, what they have to, to debate is, is it worth the risk of injury, of re-injury, playing Joel Embiid through this? Right. Um, because if, if I felt like they were on the precipice of winning a championship, I'd feel stronger about just saying you got to play – you got to play him. And so you don't you don't feel like they're on the precipice of winning championship despite being the number one seed and not no, it's not a guarantee you know like if they were Brooklyn like if this were, if they were Brooklyn and this was Harden or this was Kyrie now it's a different situation because that team had two uh, two other superstars like, right. hey, this guy can sit out yeah, yeah it's like yeah it's like maybe you do take yeah. that risk yeah but like you know if they're if you're a team where it's like man. You know, like maybe the Lakers last yeah, year. Yeah, if you're healthy, not. you're you're gonna yeah. win probably. Yeah, we're we're like we're the likely favorite. Then yeah, I feel I feel more willing to make that risk or take that risk. But when you're talking about a team that Brooklyn is out there in the East, man, and while yes, this team could feasibly beat them, the 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 other risk to take is Joel Embiid. We know he has obviously, you know, history of major injuries. Um, he's had a major foot injury early in his career. He's had back a back injury when he was in college. Um, he's had knee, and he's had knee issues. He's had knee issues, obviously, as well. Um, it's it's very risky to play him. In my opinion, a big guy like me to play that guy through a torn, a, a potentially a, a partially torn meniscus. That you feel like, yeah, oh yeah, he can play through it. He can play through the pain, but it also can get much worse. And as a Celtics fan, seeing it with Isaiah Thomas playing through a hip injury that he could put, he could push through, but it got much worse because he did. Seeing Kemba Walker play through injuries, it, it and and look hobbled, and struggle. I don't know. To me, I I would be more cautious with this because I don't think they're winning even if Embiid plays personally. Um, that's not my prediction. Now, ultimately, do you have a chance? Absolutely, if Embiid plays. If he doesn't play, they don't have a chance. And that's, that's the thing they have to, to, to decide. It, it's so tough also, last thing, is that 
they're still at such a crossroads with the Embiid Simmons experiment. I think I don't think that at least I personally don't feel comfortable with that pairing working. Like I don't know for a fact that it works, and they're still trying to add you know compiled data in their analysis of whether or not Embiid and Simmons works. And these are this is very this is the most important reps you you'll you'll get to make that evaluation. And now Embiid is hurt. And so now you have to decide, well, I mean, yeah, we could play Embiid through this injury, and that will help us give a better determin- uh, determination of whether or not Embiid and Simmons can ever win a championship together. But it also could, you know, ruin Embiid's career or yeah. really hamper his career. So it's a really tough spot to be in if you're the Sixers. I don't envy it at all. Yeah, I, th- I think I feel – I think I have – I think I'm more reserved to this – Simmons and B thing just kind of being, you know, the end all be all. Like I think like, that this is what you got to do. Yeah, I, I think the ship has sailed on like you know, are you going to try to move one of these guys to better the team? I think that they had plenty of opportunities and they've never pulled that trigger, and the team has slowly gotten better. And this is <laughs> this is this is going to always be like the thing that could possibly get in their way is that both of those guys. Um, their health is suspect. I don't like to say they're injury prone per se, but we've seen them have to miss playoff games and be out of the playoffs or, or you know, not be in the best shape, or whatever. This is kind of just is what it is. You know who they are at this point. So if you haven't treated them at this point and you've seen their steady progress and they've improved this much as a team, I don't see why you didn't make the decision now to trade them. So I think that that part of it, I think, is, is done. Like, they're stuck with these two guys. The question now becomes, you know, is it worth the risk of playing Embiid? And again, I think on this part, I also think I disagree. I think it's a tougher call. I, I, I think if Embiid can play reasonably to the level that he normally plays, I think that Philly has a chance to beat anybody in the East. The question is, again, how good that chance is. Is it worth the risk? And do you think he can play at that level? Like, I don't... I don't know. I mean, he couldn't return to the fit to the Washington game. So that tells me that suggests that he won't be at the level he was at before he got he went down. Like like that 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 would that I don't know how how you read that. If neither of us are doctors, but if he couldn't return for for the game and then couldn't even play the next game, that tells me he's hurting pretty bad. So whenever he gets out there, I do not expect to see the MVP caliber and be we've seen for much of the season. So I think it's worth putting that guy out there against the Nets. My gut tells me hell no. Like, is, and that's devastating because, again, I think that this team had a chance. I would not have picked them against this, but I think they had a chance given how well they were playing as a team. That would have liked to have seen what would have happened, especially because the Nets have so many problems dealing with problematic centers. And be maybe as tough as they get, you know, with the exception of maybe Jokic. He may be better than Jokic. Like, so. It's a it's a devastating break for this to happen. I think this is where it gets scary because because of the devastation of it, you wonder if Philly will maybe make a, a bad decision and say, no, let's put him out there because we're too close to not give it a go and then something to catastrophic happens. It's it's just tough all the way around. I I don't I'm not I mean I'm a Knicks fan and the Sixers are a division rival, so I'm not like I'm here cheering for the Sixers, but I don't envy that position they're in right now. I mean, that is a tough situation. I don't think he'll play. That's my opinion. I, I think that they'll sit him. Because Philly has always leaned 
to be more conservative with him in the past. And they have all the reason to be conservative now. I don't think he mess around with this kind of thing. I feel like I've seen guys play on torn meniscuses, but they just, to me, they never look the same. And some guys I have seen make it worse. Like Gilbert Reigns is the guy that comes to mind. Yeah, last thing I want to hear is Embiid's got to get microfracture or something. I know that's yeah, like, exactly. You know, a long that's a, that's a, a, a term from a long time ago, but like that's the last thing you want to you want to you want to hear is that oh, yeah, he really messed up his knee because he played through this injury. Where it's like they weren't they weren't winning the championship anyway. Not to again, not to rain on the Sixers fans' parades, but it was unlikely. Like if the Celtics were in the same position and it was Jason Tatum, I'd be saying no, don't play this guy. We ain't winning a championship. Yeah. It's like it's you know, kind of like Brown. yeah, it feels Jaylen illogical. Brown shutting you down with his wrist injury, I have no issue with it. We weren't winning a championship. It was unfortunate, you know. I wish we would have had a had Jalen Brown, but I'd much rather have Jalen Brown next season, fully healthy, and for the next five years, fully healthy, rather than him play through some nonsense injury and then he's gimpy. You know, it's a wrist injury, so it wouldn't be gimpy, but he would be hobbled for the rest of his career. So, um, yeah, I mean, to me, this. Would be an easy decision if they weren't the one seed, but when you're the one seed, it all it it, it muddies the water a little bit. And it's um, Joel Embiid. Not to yeah. say that any player is more important than the other, but you know, you know, I mean, you may be willing, you may be more willing to do this if someone like someone that's on expiring or like I always say that the people people blasted the Warriors for playing Durant in that finals, but. It's the it's the same logic that I'm applying now, and it's it's yeah, you know when the Warriors played Durant, they knew look he's on expiring. If anything would happen to him, he's probably gonna leave anyway, and this is our chance to win a title. So yeah, we're gonna play Durant. It may not have been the most responsible. We're talking about protecting the player, but from a team perspective, it made sense. But ultimately, you know, worst case scenario happened. If you I'm said, indeed, I, I you know I, you know of course you want to play, but you also have to protect yourself. Do you feel like they survive Atlanta? Uh, without if MB doesn't play in the series, um, yes. Mm, okay. Yeah, I, think, yeah, I think defensively, offensively, they're not gonna have the scoring problems that they've had. And defensively, I think the I think Dwight Howard has shown this year and last season that I mean he's he's still a load to deal with. He's not. A scrub. That's gonna like, help them. Capella's like, like I, I, I don't think that. I think that, like, if you're you lost your all star center, your super not all star, your superstar MVP caliber center, and like most teams that were going to the backup, they wouldn't have as good option as Dwight Howard to start. Yeah, the Heat are going to Dwayne Deadman. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 scary hours for a lot of those teams if that situation. And I mean, it is scary hours for Philly because they want to win a championship, but to just beat the Atlanta Hawks. They're, they're not in the worst position in the world. Um, I'm gonna say they. I'm gonna say they don't win. Uh, I'm gonna say the shot making that they that the Hawks have with Young and his ability to create shots for other people will be just a little too much. I think it'll be a crazy series. Um, I think I, what would have been, I think, a non-competitive series, I think, will now become very competitive. But. Um, but wow, it's just crazy to see this happen to Philly. What do we make of um? Well, let's get to the Hawks a little bit later. We we talk about the Knicks and stuff. Um, I want to talk about Brooklyn and how yeah. that series went down. There's a lot to to go over. So, 
And I know we've been talking a lot in this part already. I don't want this to be too long. Um, but Brooklyn beat Boston in a... I, I, to me, it was kind of a weird series. It, there was like a lot of attention and animosity. But it didn't, I never really felt like there was a lot of animosity like between the players. It just seemed like there were a lot of emotions. But it just seemed None like... None towards very, Kyrie. It seemed very Durant. misplaced. Like it was just a lot of like people on Twitter that were mad. Uh, Kyrie stepping on a logo. Um, you yeah, know, first Durant, of all, well, first of all, I do want to make a statement that uh, the NBA 100 has to do something with these fans that are getting out of control, throwing the bottle, uh, spitting on Trey Young, getting on the court. These are criminal acts, and it's time that the these cities and these states prosecute people for assault and for other. Uh, true, you know, misdemeanors and even felonies in some cases. For the instance, we saw this this past week. It was a disgrace. I want to make sure I get that out there. But um, but yeah, that series just was very weird. Um, the one thing I will say is, if you had any like doubt about Brooklyn in terms of how much that rust may be a factor, the fact that these guys haven't played together as a unit in terms of that big three, I think that you can't feel. Yeah, I just feel like you can't have any, really any more reservations anymore. I mean, their shot making is just absurd. And they just they just got Brooklyn out of here real fast, and I felt like Brooklyn, which would be Boston, out of here real fast. And I felt Boston fought pretty hard, but it just didn't matter. Boston played extremely well. We're not gonna. We will get to Boston at some point, uh, but they didn't. The Nets didn't win that series because they were facing. Uh, they weren't facing a game opponent. <laughs> you know, they Boston prepared well. You know, of course, they didn't have Jalen Brown and Kemba was really low. Play was a really bad, hobbled version of Kemba. But they, I mean, Jason Tatum was a load, and we'll we'll talk about the Celtics in a little bit. But um, that was an impressive, impressive five game series by the Nets. Um, you know, they earned a lot of respect for my eyes uh, with the way they 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 won that series. Um, they have issues in the front court that. Can't be ignored. Um, Tristan Thompson was a game changer for the Celtics in ways that he just shouldn't be. Um, yeah. And that, that concerns you going up against Milwaukee. Uh, obviously, given Giannis, Brooke Lopez, like, that's going to, that's they, those guys are going to be a load for Nick Claxton and for Blake Griffin. And they didn't, they didn't even think about putting DeAndre Jordan in the game, which there were a lot of Celtics people that thought going into game four after the win in game three. Oh, now we're going to see DeAndre Jordan after what Tristan Thompson did. How are we going to, how are we going to, you know, respond to DeAndre Jordan? How, you know, it might be the game. And they didn't even touch putting in DeAndre Jordan. Now, granted, they don't need DeAndre Jordan to win. It used to beat the Celtics. No, yeah, it may be more annoying to to win without him, but they don't need to play him. Yeah, they they don't need to play DeAndre Jordan to beat the Celtics. But how cooked is DeAndre Jordan if? You don't even think about putting him in. That's the question. Did they not play him because he can't, because he can't play, or did they not play him because it didn't matter? In the it result? didn't matter, right? And that's because that's yeah, that's, that's where coaching comes into play. Where I'm like, it's going to be. You may need DeAndre Jordan to beat Milwaukee. You may not have needed him to beat Boston and Miller. Maybe you won't. Maybe they're that good where they don't need him to beat Milwaukee. But you may need him. And if you if you didn't even try him, is it because he he can't play or is or are you just waiting for the time where you actually do need him? And when you do need him, is he going to be fresh? Is he going to be, or is it going to be like, oh man, this guy's a mess because he hasn't played in 
a month. So, you know, we'll see. I don't know. They may not need DeAndre Jordan at all. They may they may be finding his Milwaukee, but that's a question I have. But, you know, I mean, the shot making is, is impeccable. And honestly, I don't think there's anything Milwaukee can do about it. Not having Dante DiVincenzo only hurts them even more. But they're not going to be able to stop the Nets. Yes, you can bring up the fact that the Nets lost to the Milwaukee um, in those two games late in the season, mm-hmm. back-to-back. But James Harden wasn't playing. Yeah. That's a, that's a big deal. Like, yeah. I know. As, yeah, as you know, as uh, watching James Harden. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. James Harden wasn't playing. I'd feel a lot better about the Celtics' chances. But, right. But without James Harden, like, yes, that's a that's a major omission in the in that whole narrative that the Bucks beat the Nets the last two times they played. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it'll be a tougher series for the Nets, undoubtedly. Um, Holiday... Is, a, is is showing people how great of a defender he is, and that's only going to get shown more against Kyrie and Harden. To be like, so does Holiday guard Kyrie? Uh, I and mean, Middleton did, did, is guarding did, did, Harden. Yeah, I mean, DiVincenzo thing kind of messes things up. I think if they would that love to put him on Harden. Right. Exactly. That's, now you kind of wonder if you have to put Holiday on the ball and Forbes on Kyrie. Which I'm not. I don't feel good about that at all. But the Celtics tried to do it with Kemba. They just say, you know, we're gonna hide Kemba and Kyrie, which sounds nuts. But like, you know, I mean, it's. I mean, Kyrie's playing. Kyrie's playing off the ball, so it's, yeah, it's, he, the ball is in his hands. All the yeah, time. so you want your best defender on the ball if 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 the ball is James Harden. <laughs> exactly. uh, you know, as bad as an option is to put Kemba on like Kyrie is well, that means. You're putting Kemba on the ball, and again, yeah. that ball is just hard. If you have a, if you have a, that's what this team is like. A, is like, broken in terms of like how to Celtics, stop them. When they, when Kemba got hurt and Romeo Langford was inserted into the starting line, they put Langford on Harden because they felt, oh, this kid is actually a solid defender. Mm-hmm. Like he's not market smart, but he can hold his own, similar to how DiVincenzo could hold his own. I don't think Brent yeah. Forbes could hold his own guarding his no, guard. But that's the, either. that's the concern if you're Milwaukee, is. Defensively, the backcourt is, is going to be so – not the backcourt. Someone in the backcourt that's not Drew Holiday when he's not on the floor is going to be so um, hurt. So that – I don't know. Defensively, it, it, it's going to be tough. I mean, I, I'll be honest, Kendall. I wonder if they go with some weird matchups, and I wonder if P.J. Tucker ever gets time on Harden. Man, do we think he has the, the, the quickness? I don't, but I'm wondering if they'll try it anyway. <laughs> let me be They're clear. Really I think that that will end very. Let me be clear. I think that will end very poorly for the Bucks. But I'm looking at their kind of their roster and how things shake out. Like uh, to me, I, I would expect you know when Giannis goes to the five, that Middleton will be on KD. So, am I putting Pat Connaughton on Harden? Am Henry, I putting... our brother, our brother Henry thinks Middleton is going to get a lot of time on Harden, mm-hmm. which does it isn't crazy. But no. it's just I worry about the injury. I'm not the injury, the foul trouble. Yeah. Like a guy like Middleton is so important and Harden. Which why I'm Harden. like, which is why I feel like to me it's like I I don't mind PJ Tucker getting those six fouls. Right. Yeah, he doesn't mind it at all. No. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. Especially I'm sure, he's been Kevin Durant. I'm sure. I'm sure he's been waiting for this moment to 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 yeah. lay the hammer on Harden a couple of times. Uh, I know those guys have had a. That those guys have been on the same team and they'll be ready to compete against each other um, in these. Playoffs. I think yeah, I think we'll see Tucker on Durant as well. I mean, yeah, I definitely we definitely see out? that. Um, 
I don't feel nearly as good as other people that this is going to be this great competitive series. I think the Bucks, uh, I think they caught a uh, punch drunk champion in the heat. <laughs> like I, 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 I just don't, I don't think I could take anything from that series. I saw. I you could tell from game one the Heat were just not. They were not engaged in the series at all. And the fact that they're, they're, they're Conor McGregor fighting like anyone he's fought in the last three years. <laughs> I mean, no, they just look like the kind of team. Like to me, the Bucks like it. Like like it took the Bucks to me like a whole game, like a whole regulation. They're like, oh, this team is kind of trash. Like, like they were playing down to them. Like, oh, they're struggling in game one, and then they got the full time after they made that dream, made that layup, and they're like, oh, this team ain't that good. And they just they it was never competitive after that. I I feel like I don't know if I have a good feel for for anything from from the box for that series. And what I saw in the regular season was if Giannis isn't getting forty or fifty, the Bucks don't got a chance. And I know he ain't getting forty or fifty every game in this series. No. Uh, so I, I that so it's funny we had the conversation last time we talked about the Nets, and I said going to that Celtic series, look Tatum. Could very possibly have a game where he's the best player on the court. Yes, and you were right about that. He had that ended up happening one game. You know, and I, look, I didn't think it happened before. I made that very clear. I'm not saying there's going to be any upsets, but will there be a game? And why? I think there won't be a sweep. I think it's very possible. But I think it's more unlikely that Giannis has a game like that. Mm. That's me personally. I think Tatum has more. I mean, I think Tatum is a better scorer than Giannis. You know, hot take. I don't know if that's a hot take or not. But. Like I, now, he Giannis is on a much better team, so he may not need to to win a game. But that is what worries me about the Bucks is that if the game gets tight, the game gets nip and tuck late in the game, Middleton is going to have to be the guy that takes over. And does he have that capability? Yeah, I'm, I'm never so taking Middleton late in the game against those other guys. Yeah, against Kyrie. Like, yeah. yeah, I'll take him against you know a suspect Jimmy Butler and Ben right. Adebayo and Goran Dragic and Duncan Robinson. But well, am I going to take Middleton over Kyrie, KD, and James Harden? That, that's that's a tough that's a tough bet for me. So that's why look, I think this is a I think this is a five game series. Mm-hmm. That's tough. I'm I'm uh, I'm leaning there too. A tough I'm five leaning. game. No, there will be no. I blowout. agree. Yeah, I agree. I don't think this is going to be blowout city. This is not going to be the five game series the Celtics thing was. No. But I I, I kind of I kind of agree. I, I if the Bucks. If the Bucs won three games, I think I'd be shocked. Like, they won two. I'd be like, okay, okay. They fought a while. I, I think one feels more like, okay, yeah, they'll get it. And I one, think maybe. what you said about the, the Nets last time also rung true in that the Celtics played their best when the Nets were asleep. And yeah. And you talked about how Brad Stevens didn't want the Nets, didn't want to wake them up with any, 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 any bulletin board material. Yep. Going into the series. I think we saw in games one, in games in game three, and that last game, that the Nets were not as sharp as they were in the games where they were really trying to get the Celtics out of there, like game two and game four. Game four, yeah. They and this is a team that like they live for the petty. Like they need like to me, like to me, like the Nets and the Hawks are kind of similar in the sense that I think they, they need something to get them going. Yeah. So like, because you know, for the for the Nets, I think the game is it can be so boring because they're so talented. So yeah. they needed something. So you know, they needed 
Kyrie going to Boston. Celtics to have to have a really good game one where you're like, oh, maybe this is yeah, Boston to play well. Yeah, Boston to play well in game one and then to to shut them down and then to have the Celtics to beat them in game three and then have have that game three thousand people in game four. They they needed all they need all that completely shut down the crowd. Yeah, they need that, and I think that they won't need that for the Bucks. So they they're gonna be wired. They're ready. They know this is a team that's good. So they can't mess they around. They may still have a game or two, like they did against the Celtics, where they may not be all there because they're like they feel like they have the advantage, and why the Bucks may not get swept. Right. But I don't, I, I don't know if it's going past five, five or six games because of that. I agree with that. Um, the Celtic, uh, the Celtic fallout to 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 this situation included. Talk about um, a shocker. Yeah, I texted you. You like you couldn't believe it when I texted you. I was you woke up. I, was like, I woke yeah. up. <laughs> I saw my phone and I see Ainge out. I'm reading this stuff and I see Stevens is, is, is the president. You know, it, you know, it took me a long time to come to grips that I didn't realize after the first several reads of those headlines that Brad Stevens was leaving the bench. I just thought he was now becoming the president of basketball really, operations. And I was just like, I'm like, that sounds like a, that sounds like a dumb thing to do. But okay, my instant reaction. With real, with real sadness, man. And why? Well, first of all, you've got Brad Stevens. Well, not before we get to Brad Stevens, we have Danny Ainge. Who, I mean, ever since I've been a Celtics fan, the guy's been in charge, you know. Mm. And he 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 won us a title. Obviously, I wouldn't say he won us a title as a player. He was there as a player. I mean, he wasn't the the guy, but. Um, but he won us the title as as president in 08. And, again, ever since I've been a Celtics fan, he's been the guy in charge. And so, and through this entire rebuild, he's been the guy. And I followed the Celtics team closer than I follow any of my favorite teams. Um, in part because they're, they've always been the most stable. You know? <laughs> like, right. You know, it's always been the most continuity, the most consistency, the most... Uh, in the highest level organization that I that I root for, and and, and, and to be honest, it's usually easier to, to follow the more stable situations than the exactly. chaotic ones. There's someone who I wasn't, you know, it's a Jets and Knicks and Mets fan. <laughs> like, right. I'll tell you that Miami football fan. You know? Yeah, <laughs> like I tell you what, following what's happening at Gonzaga has been very easy these last few years. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. You know, I wasn't exactly you know locked in when Tubby Smith was leading Memphis. You know, no disrespect to Tubby, <laughs> but that was that was very unstable. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, so it, it, it was, it was tough where you see Ainge is gone and then you get to Brad Stevens and you feel like, and you realize he's replacing him as president, but he's not the coach anymore. And it's like, man, like, and again, the sadness also becomes because as a fan, although everyone's been saying, and even I've acknowledged to some level, like the window to winning a championship I don't want to say it's closed for this team, but like, because I don't, I'm not. That's like saying that's basically saying Tatum and Brown are winning a championship, which I don't know. But the 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 window for those teams are they, it, it's been closed. Like they're not winning, you know, with, with that old roster. And this clearly this old regime now is now officially closed, and that's mm. that's tough because we got so close so many years. When you get to the conference finals three times in two of those years, you expect you to win. I fully expected yeah. to beat LeBron in 2018. Fully expected to beat the Miami Heat in 2020, and lost both times. And it's gut wrenching. 
You yeah, know? given I feel like given how given how the, it ended in terms of them losing to Miami and then given how they were set up so well after the Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce trade, those those deals typically put you in a situation where you're in a lottery hell for several years before you really get close to relevancy. But the moves that were made and the coaching hires hire that was made put them in a position. It fast tracked the rebuild, right? And I think that it, if you're a Celtics fan, it's got to be some sadness, and it feels a little bit like unrealized potential. Yeah, like there, there was like there was this hope that the team that they were putting together in the nucleus that they had was almost certain to bring a title back to Boston at some point. Um, or at the very least, get them back to the finals. And yes. the idea that they never, they, yes, they were, you know, conference finals, you know, three, four years during this stretch or whatever. But the fact that they never got to that uh, upper echelon final stage, you know, it's got to feel like, you know, again, it's such a like, wow, look where we were when we had Kyrie in tow, we signed Gordon Hayward, we had these young, uh, we had these young dragons, basically. With you know Tatum and Brown and and we had Smart and like you just the team just looked just really well put together and it 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 ended up with no uh, no finals appearance no I finals mean, appearances and the the finals appearances is tough and it, it, again it, the reason also is because this is an era of Celtic basketball that will go down as not completely forgotten but when you're talking about a a, a, a franchise where you have 17 titles and so many so many banners, so many Hall of Famers, so many retired jerseys. This era of Celtic basketball is going to be completely forgotten in the overall landscape of the organization and the franchise. And it's tough yeah. because it's done so well. And this has been my this has been my era of Celtic basketball, and it's so tough, you know. Now, what is what I hope is that Ainge and Stevens and look, Stevens isn't done. He's still in the in the, in the front office. It's, his career isn't over necessarily. Ainge, I think Ainge isn't done either. I just think he's done in Boston. But Ainge, like, still, in my opinion, deserves credit for whatever happens where at, with Tatum and Brown itself. And I don't know how long that'll be. Like, you know, I mean, if Tatum leaves and Brown leaves, Brown leaves in, in, in three, four years, then... Those three, four years, the only thing that that I can talk, I can put on Danny Ainge's resume on some level, not necessarily, you know, roster building, but yeah, getting bringing Jason Tatum to Boston and bringing Jalen Brown to Boston, just like we give Jerry West credit for getting Kobe and getting Shaq, even though he wasn't running everything on one of those teams by the end, like. Or you know, and he didn't he didn't win, he wasn't with the team when they won you know with Pau Gasol, but he still deserves credit for drafting Kobe Bryant. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that aspect of it is what the only thing I hope, but yeah, I mean, again, looking back, you know, I, I absolutely, I think it's a lot of missed opportunities and look, a lot of, I've said this the last couple of days. I mean, a lot of about winning a championship in the NBA is it takes a lot of luck and the Celtics had a lot of bad luck and that's not yeah. excuse. Um, it's just what happened. But it's just what happened. Yeah. Unless again, unless you build a, a, a super team, unless like the Miami Heat winning a championship wasn't luck. It was 
the Super Championship. <laughs> yeah. You know, the Nets, if the Nets win it this year, it, it's it's not luck. We don't know who's going to win a championship. Yeah, it'll it's be to that. some degree, to some degree, you can create your own luck. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Um, and now, all credit to the Nets because I've seen people dismiss what the Nets have done, and I don't think you can dismiss the good job that they did to make themselves an attractive destination. You know, it's not again. It doesn't take a rocket science scientist to sign Kevin Durant and Kyrie, which is the yeah. only reason they're a contender. The James Harden trade apparently needed some rocket scientists because there are a lot of people out there that thought it was a bad move. But, you know, it didn't it didn't take a rocket scientist to make that move as well. But, you know, the move that got them into the position where those guys would even want to be there, it's, it deserves some credit. But, but yes, they, no championship, but all those finals appearances, like, it, I thought it was a really good run. As a Celtics fan, I'm not upset um, about the time they had here. In terms of looking forward, um, it's a wild move. I mean, it's not anything that I've really ever seen. Um, you know, I've seen some people categorize this as a promotion of Brad Stevens. I've seen some people pr- categorize this as a firing of Brad Stevens. I, I, I think I don't think it's a firing. I think a firing is a strong word. Reassignment. I think it's probably a better word, a better way of putting it. Um, when you watch the press conference that they had, it, it seemed as if they agreed with a lot of the people in the media that have been blasting them mm-hmm. that whatever, like, they need, Stevens isn't getting through to this team. Mm-hmm. Like, that, and it's something that you mentioned, I don't know if you mentioned just when we were talking or if you mentioned on the show, but, like, this run eventually... You can't you just can't do it with these guys for a decade. You know, at some point you right. have to move on. No matter yeah, how at cer- good at you certain, feel. yeah, no matter how good you are, at a certain point, players just tune out a coach. They 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 tune them they tune them out. And I think yeah. he he said he didn't say he said that without saying that uh bluntly or right. explicitly. He said, you know, sometimes you just need to refresh. That kind of whatever Brad said, like it was right. very clear that that was something that was on their mind. That. Yeah, because I, I mean, think... as as good as I mean, as much as this team dealt with, I I think that the feeling was there the talent that they had, they shouldn't have been a team that was playing in the playing situation. That that shouldn't have been not in the Eastern Conference, not when you see you know the Knicks in there and the Hawks in there, like and then you see you know Tatum getting fifty points against the you know the, the Nets, and you're like you know he played the whole he played most of the season with another All Star, like you know it, it was very clear that that and this, you know what. This arrangement wasn't didn't work out this year. It doesn't mean it couldn't have worked out next year, but maybe them making a change suggested that they realized it was something maybe larger. They needed some fall. juice to, to spark this team up yeah. a little bit. And I mentioned this about Brad Stevens last summer when they lost to Miami, that my one critique of Brad Stevens, who I still think is a top I didn't I didn't I don't feel strongly about how I, how I felt maybe two or three years ago where I was like, oh, this guy, I wouldn't want any other coach in the league. There are some other coaches that are really <laughs> that are also really good at this point. And yeah. Stevens, you know, the last two years have been kind of tough. But the my one critique of Stevens last year in the Eastern Conference Finals was I felt he didn't care enough. And when you hear the report from Wolves, like he's worn out, his time in the bubble, he was worn down, <laughs> you know. 
it screams what I was saying, where you could see it in the body language, you could see it in the lack of attention to detail in the way the team played with. Mm-hmm. You could see it in the defensive numbers this year. This team was not a great defensive team. That's never been a Brad Stevens team. And that, I think, is part of the reason why they're making this move as well. I don't, I don't think Stevens is all in it in terms of wanting to be the head coach anymore. Um, and, I, and I told, I texted you also. I think part of this is, man. I think he, look, I think it's gonna be very fascinating to have a guy that coached the team that he's now running. He now decides who stays and who goes. Like, it's gonna be very interesting. Cause I think that whatever he felt with the pitfalls of his demise as the coach will be very much brought out on whatever moves are made soon yes. as he becomes president. Yes, there's been a lot of jokes about. All right, so we know Smart's getting dealt. <laughs> Uh, tomorrow, <laughs> no, we know the next point guard is going to be like the, six, the seven. guys that he clearly. Know, felt if were, they draft Josh well, Giddy, then you know that means he's been upset about the fact that he hasn't had a point guard over six foot since he's been the coach. <laughs> right? been a, you know, it, it's very you're right. Yeah, right? like like all, like we we know that there will be moves that are made that will be assign him saying you know this was a pitfall for when I was coaching. If I had this kind of guy, uh, or we didn't have this kind of guy, things might have been a little bit better. So I think that's going to be very important to, to see early on. Now, I, but I, th- I think also the part of this, Kendall, is I, I, I texted it to you. I, I think he looked at them guys that they drafted recently, and he saw how hard it was to coach in the NBA. He was like, man, I, I could do a better job than, than you know, Romeo Langford and Aaron Neesmith the last two years. That, that's well, the that's guys what he put concerns together. me, actually, about this, is that it seems as if it, Stevens's input has gotten larger Rightfully so. He's been there a long time. He's a great coach. But it seems like his input has gotten larger over the last two or three years on personnel moves. And the last two or three years, the personnel moves have been kind of suspect. Mm-hmm. You know, he talked a lot about his connection, you know, to Indiana, you know, when they got Romeo Langford. So a lot about his connection to Indiana and coaching when he got, when they got Carson Edwards. And I mean, those, those picks were, I mean, you know, I mean, look, I'm, I'm not going to say anything bad about those guys. I, I like both of them. But, mm-hmm. You know, those weren't great picks. Now, again, I don't, he wasn't, he not final say, so clearly that a lot of that falls on Ainge and his track record. But, um, and maybe, maybe Stevens would have made those drafting. Maybe he's just saving face in the press conference with two guys he didn't really want. But, you know, that stuff is, I think he really wanted Carson. Well, I think uh, to me, and like, yeah, and you're right that definitely, they, they definitely played it up as if Stevens was very invested in the draft process. When they drafted but, Smart, you know, that was clearly an age pick. Like, you know, he, yeah. which we call it, had been there for a year. You know, he didn't have to say, to say this is who we should draft. But yeah. what I will say, though, is I think typically the notion is that, like, co- head coaches aren't as invested in the draft as we may think. That a lot of this right. really hedges way more on your scouting department and your front office. Because those guys are actually at the time to watch college basketball. Brad Stevens is coaching the Eastern Conference Finals. He might not be be there when they're doing workouts, you know, like right. So, so and I, I thought so it was, me, that's why it was so interesting that was when when he said in those press conferences, like he said at one point, like this is like these are he was like I'm excited because these are like guys that I kind of know, you know. Yeah, <laughs> like, I know Roger Langford because he's a legend in Indiana, and you know yeah. I know Carson he know them. Yeah, he knows them for their work before. <laughs> you don't know what yeah. they did in the work. In the or Matt Painter, like, I know Matt Painter really well, so you know, right? You've got, you know, I've talked to him a lot about Carson Edwards, so like, yeah, you know, but 
and I think we will see a massive change in philosophy. I mean, Ainge said it. He's like, Brad hasn't agreed with everything I've done over the years, you know? And I was going to say, too, how many, I mean, it's a running joke about how many times it was like, do we see these leaked reports of, yeah, the Celtics could have had this guy if they traded X, Y, and Z, but they didn't do it. And how many, how much did that maybe get annoyed for Brad Stevens to be like, yeah, you know, your team needs extra help. And it seemed like Danny was hesitant to pull the trigger on draft picks and things like that. And the word now your coaching career is yeah. over. <laughs> like, like, yeah. like that, the that certainly that could have been a part of that. He also was the, the word is that he also was not a fan of the fact that Ainge, they built his team through a lot of draft picks, like you said, and it was a lot of young players and every coach wants to have a little bit more experience on his team. Um, I would argue that, you know, I thought Stevens was more successful when he had a younger team at times, but this team was, was extremely young. And <laughs> I think that was part of the reason why he saw so much inconsistency. But yeah, I mean, it's it's so unique because it's a lot of power to give a guy that's never won a championship, you know? And I know there's been a lot, he's ruffled a lot of feathers in that regard. There are a lot of people that do not like Brad Stevens. You know, let's keep it, keep it real, you know? They don't like him for a lot of reasons. Um, and then he gets this job after not after having his worst season as a head coach. He gets a, he, he gets what some, again, some view as a promotion. Um, it has ruffled a lot of feathers. Um, and I think a lot of it is familiarity with the, with ownership, continuity. And I think an actual, I don't think that they are moving on from this regime because of lack of success. That is that's the narrative that I that I that has been out there um, that I I don't believe um, I don't think there's a lack of success I think this is um, now granted I mean look that they, they won a championship so of course yeah none of these guys would <laughs> all these guys would still be here but like Stevens isn't the head coach because they don't think he's a good enough head coach Ainge is moving on. I think in part he's looking at his career. He's 62, had a heart attack a year ago, two years ago, and now he has a roster. He has a fran- he's with a franchise that has a, a, a not any legitimate window of winning a championship in the next two years, unless mm-hmm. Tatum and Brown do something that you cannot foresee, or someone else on the roster does something you cannot foresee. So, at his stage of his career and of his life, and he mentioned it like a lot of Celtics have gone it's passed away in the last couple of years mm. um a lot of people he knew closely like i think he wants to get out get out of boston you know maybe he ends up he's very close reportedly with the owner of the jazz yeah does he end up doing a jerry west role, role with the jazz i think that's very possible or maybe he ends up running the jazz if dennis Lindsay moves on to another job which has also been speculated so i think it's a lot of it it starts with Ainge wanting to leave which makes sense for a lot of reasons that I mentioned. And then it, it evolves into who are we going to replace him with? And Brad Stevens is the logical, ne- not like the obvious next guy, but is, is a logical potential replacement. Um, the, it's just unique that he's not staying on as head coach. And that part of it, I think Brad really looking at it and saying, me just being the president and being the head coach isn't going to, isn't going to change anything. Like, yeah, it'll change the roster, but the roster is still going to tune me out. Like, right. you know, like 
I don't I don't rule out like this team not working out and Brad Stevens going back and saying, well, I'm a good coach, so yeah, I'll coach the team too, or I'll coach and give someone else the reins. But right now, I think he need he thinks that they need a reset. But I don't think it's a it's a referendum on his coaching ability. Um, it'll just be interesting to see how how it works out. The last thing I'll say on the Celtics is that I am really, really, really strong, and we'll see how we'll see how it all shakes out. Brad Stevens' philosophy. I'm really, really strong that I think they need to hire Carol Lawson or Becky Hammond. Mm. Uh, and now look, those, both of those would be obviously historic hires. Yeah. So it's yeah. not doesn't come lightly that opinion, obviously, but. Um, Chauncey Billups is the only other person that I'm willing to listen on. And look, typically I'm I'm more open to hiring college basketball coaches, but I just don't think you could hire a college basketball coach after Brad Stevens. Like that, that would seem pretty tone deaf to the issue that this team has. Um, but to me, Becky Hammond and Carol Lawson are the two best. I think Carol Lawson is, is is obviously a superstar. And um, the only reason that wouldn't work out is because she's already at Duke now. So it's like she may not want to leave after only being there for a year and didn't really get a chance to do the coaching thing. And obviously her mentor is Pat Summit, you know, and college basketball is still very close to her thing. You know, she's not an NBA person. Um, So that may that that may play a role in why she wouldn't take the Chelsea job, but. I think Becky Hammond will ultimately be the head coach. That's my wow. Opinion. Yeah, uh, it could be a. I've heard people say that it could be a, a former NBA player. I know people throwing out Sam Cassell, um, who's done a good job. Obviously, the Doc Rivers yeah. assistant. Um, I again, I love Chauncey Billups, uh, and it's tough because Sam Cassell he's just super quiet. So it's like maybe if Sam Cassell did TV for five years. I want Sam Cassell, but you know, you're talking about. You know, two other candidates who obviously have done TV, <laughs> so you have a you have a higher opinion of them. But um, I think it'll end up being Becky Hammond. Um, I think difference between her and Carol Lawson that I think would separate Hammond is not even the experience factor because Carol Lawson is a superstar. So I don't mm-hmm. think that's that. I don't think, and he she's been there. So she right. like Brad Stevens of all wall people would know she'd be fine. But because she was there. They need a shakeup. They need a different philosophy, a different mindset. And while she's only there for a year, so it's not like it would be a bad hire if you hired right. Carol Lawson. It'd be fine. But Brad Stevens, the amount of respect that he has for Greg Popovich, the amount of respect that Greg Popovich has for Brad Stevens, would not shock me at all. Is it surprising to you that that we haven't heard more about the people on Brad's staff currently being up for the job? Yeah, I mean, we've heard interviews. Jerome Allen's gonna get a gonna get an interview. Uh, seems like Jay Larinag is gonna get an interview, but it, that's just tough because this team was seems a failure. You right. know the the notions that you yeah. know it's like you mentioned. I just think it's, I guess to me, team, yeah, I guess to me it's just fired. weird. They didn't hire Austin Ainge. They didn't hire his son. They didn't hire Mike Zarin, who's their assistant GM. You know, <laughs> why would you? Why would you yeah. do that? I guess to me, unless you no, know, I mean, unless Brad really feels like he'll have a really completely different philosophy as a president than he as a coach, it's just weird to have. To me, when when you have a coach that becomes a, a a front office person, a basketball operations person, 
they're like just like when, like when Phil Jackson was doing it. Like they're still always gonna look through the lens of their coaching experience for like Pat Riley. how they formulate a roster. So if you're suggesting the coaching experience was part of the issues with the team, it's weird to rely on that that coach to then build the new team. Like it's weird to me. Like I've heard San Cassell. I San Cassell definitely deserves a shot. Um, and I heard these names of you know Becky Hammond again, not someone who was part of that. We've heard like Jason Kidd and Lloyd Pierce, yeah. guys who were not involved at all with Brad Stevens in any way. Like it's weird to me that that he would go that far away from what he looks at in terms of how he's run this team, unless he's on just some new. I'm just gonna be new year, new me deal as a president. And it's going to be totally different. That's what it sounded like in the press. It, I mean, that's 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 the vibe I'm getting. It's just it's just I've never seen this before. It's unprecedented. He sounded like he was, and you know, Brad Stevens is very self-deprecating. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, I, I think he knows he's a very good coach, but you know, he makes jokes about like you know wh- whoever hired me much better than me. You know, like mm-hmm. I don't think he's afraid of new ideas. And he mentioned, you know, the person we hire is going to be in some ways similar to me, but in some ways it's going to be very different. You know, <laughs> he didn't. Now again, all this is coach speak or GM speak now for Brad Stevens. Like he knows the game. Like he, <laughs> you know, does what he, what he says in the press conference is exactly how things are gonna play out. But, um, but yeah, no, nah, I, I I think I think it'll be Becky Hammond. Um, he could end up being a former player. I mean, that's not out of the question because we're talking about having guys like Tatum and Brown who are on the precipice of being superstars. Um. In Tatum's case, might already be one, but not anybody. They haven't truly competed for a championship yet, not since they were like rookies in the second year. Um, like having a guy like Chauncey Billups, who won a title and is a Hall of Fame type of point guard, has an extra cachet that no one, no one else that's been mentioned has. Besides maybe Jason Kidd, who you know, for obvious reasons, I don't think Jason Kidd's gonna be the coach. Um, yeah, people when they said he's kid, I'm like. Man, people have short memories, or they don't, or they don't know the history. But because like they were calling this guy a wife beater in the playoffs, and that, yeah, and that that's bad. Like, and, and, like, and then, and he also hasn't been good. I know he's also been a, a poor head. coach. You know, like that's what's so crazy about it, is that he's got these skeletons in his closet, which you know some of these other candidates have skeletons. But like, and 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 like, with that being said, also. I don't want to make it sound like you can't become a better person, right? Right. Like, 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 like that's alarming. possible. But, but it is alarming that he has these skeletons right. and he has quite a few. But I do and, want to make that that point. Fair enough. And he, but he's been. If you're just judging him on his coaching ability, like he's been. They tried the Nash thing. He was the not the original Nash, but he was the most recent thing. Of, oh, we're yeah. gonna take the guy right out of not right out of retirement because Nash didn't retire for a while. But we take a Hall of Fame point guard and just make him a head coach. Yeah, and he, I mean, you know, it was it didn't it didn't go great in Brooklyn. He was solid, but like they didn't they underachieved. And then he goes to Milwaukee. He does the snake thing and goes to Milwaukee. Yeah, uh, and was underwhelming there. In part because of Jabari Parker's injuries, but some of it, a lot of it was his coaching. Deficiencies, and then Mike Budenholzer gets a job in there. They're great. So, yeah, nah. I mean, yeah, Jason Kidd. It's not saying he will never get a head coaching job, but th- yeah, I, not I say that he doesn't deserve coach. another shot because no, not know. at all. Because you can even but, get better as a head coach. I think Monty right. Williams has gotten better as a head coach. I think 
Tom Thibodeau has gotten better have a, yeah. have a head coach. But, I mean, the, the Celtics job is – Yeah. You, I think it's better. You, you don't want to experiment on your team. <laughs> yeah, I know, exactly. Yeah, Ew, let, he wants to go to Sacramento. Yeah, let, let, him prove, let him prove how better he is in, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. Sacramento. And <laughs> like that. It's – to me, I think that this is a job where – I'm not saying everyone's going to line up for it. I mean, obviously, Celtics are prestigious. But what – because the, the counter-argument to hiring someone like Becky Hammond – for this job is the same that it was for the Knicks, where it's like, look, the Celtics has high pressure for the to be the first female head coach. And while I agree that it is a high pressure situation, I think what's going to help is that, as opposed to the Knicks, who we were wrong about, like the Knicks were a bad team. So mm-hmm. the idea that you were going to have Becky Hammond and her first head coaching job go to a, a franchise that has been perpetually bad for the last two decades and that has no path on the roster currently of being good next year, which we were wrong about. Like that didn't make any sense, mm-hmm. you know, or at least it was, it, it was, it was, it seemed like, you know, wow. All right. That's, that's a huge risk with this. I mean, look, if she's going to coach Tatum and Brown, I think she's fine. Not saying that they're going to win a championship, not saying it's going to work out completely, but it's going to be hard to mess that up. So, I think she's willing to, to welcome that challenge. But, yeah, I mean, it's exciting times. I'm not nervous. I mean, I'm nervous because ultimately we don't know if Brad Stevens is good at this. That's that's the part of it. Right. Yeah. You know, we can say all we want about you. Brad Stevens is a smart guy, good basketball mind. Whether or not we think he's a good coach or not, like all that can be debated. What I will we say, though, really is that they're... whether or not he's going to be good at doing this. I don't know. I well, hope he the, is. But the, what, what I will say, though, is what's interesting about Brad Stevens, though, is – what we talked about with college coaches in the past and how many of them, when you've talked about these NBA jobs, there's always been this thing of, well, they want basketball relations, basketball operations attached to their head coaching thing. And how right. you know, a lot now, of these franchises have been very wary of doing that. Some of them have been willing to do it, but then it's like... Look at Urban Meyer going right. to Jacksonville. And a lot of that has to do yeah, with the fact... Yeah, but like what's interesting is you may wonder if, if college coaches are way better equipped to be that guy then an NBA lifer who's never had to deal with and that was the point building Kenny, a roster. Kenny Smith was making that point inside the NBA last night. And Shaq and Draymond were not trying to hear it. They're like, you know, Draymond was basically like, he wasn't picking anybody at Butler. <laughs> you know, yes, he was. He's picking everybody. But yeah, my thing is like, 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 cause Kenny Smith was trying to say like, look, he's recruiting like, he's like NBA level guys. Like when he got Gordon Hayward and stuff and it's like, and it, it, look, it's not Duke, and you know, it goes beyond. Carolina. To me, it even goes beyond like recruiting. It's like roster, roster building. building. Yes, knowing that okay, is. I have this piece this year. Like th- this guy wasn't a one and done factory. Like he he, no. it was a year's process of putting teams together at Butler, yeah. which is more way more like the NBA than maybe even like Kentucky is, where it's just you just have a new team every year and you're the best. Like it's right. more like the NBA. So I have to, yeah, the, the dynamics of having a star player already, and then recruiting or bringing in another guy, you know, who could mess that up because he may actually yeah. be better than the guy I already has, whether it's through a transfer nowadays or you know a recruit that's really good. Like I mean, there are certain dynamics that are going to be similar, but but yeah, um, we'll see if it works, man. I, I think I think he'll be good at it, but I, I'm not I'm not as as much as I like to be a homer about the success they've had. Again, uh, let me just run through this real quick for the people that 
and before we before we move on, people that do not like Danny Ainge, which I get, because he's a cocky son of a gun. <laughs> you know, he has been since he was at BYU. But the guy is one of the five best at his job in the NBA. Every move, not every move that he's made has worked because nobody has has a completely great rap sheet as a GM. It, it just, it's impossible. But the amount of excellent moves that this guy has made since he got the job, like, I mean, I mean, like it's like people don't want to. First of all, people don't want to talk about the 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 Garnett, Ray Allen stuff because I mean, look, if you want to say, oh, well, Ainge, you know, through relationships, fine. All right, Kevin McHale is friends with him, so that helped me get KG. We just throw out that title ever since that title and ever since the big three. He, instead of holding on to those guys longer than they should have or longer than most people would have, he got rid of them earlier than most people would have, got a king's ransom for those guys, a move that nowadays could never happen. They yeah, got, now, nowadays you're always like, you don't want to be, you know, the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, you don't want to be the Brooklyn Nets. Right. He was the guy that originated that mindset because he fleeced the net so poorly. Of course, Billy King's coming out nowadays saying, well, actually, we were doing that so we can get Kevin Durant in 20 years. But <laughs> no disrespect to Billy King. But he made that move. And then, again, there's this idea that, well, yeah, but he made the move. But, you know, then, but, you know, they didn't do anything with it, which is like, anybody, like, when we made that trade, I was a Celtics fan. I was upset when we made the deal. I was like, wow, we're trading these guys to Brooklyn. For some draft picks, I was the guy, just like everybody, that was like, man, this is stupid. And when has it been this thing that, oh, yeah, you know, you have to win championships after that trade? Like, it was such a fleece. Like, yes, it was a fleece. Doesn't mean you're going to automatically win championships. If we're saying that they squandered that trade, they got Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown because of that trade. Yes, you know, one of those draft picks. That ended up being Colin Sexton. They decided to move for Kyrie Irving. That's the biggest mistake he made in this entire deal. Was was, was his entire his entire career as GM? The biggest mistake he made was trading for Kyrie Irving, and that's a big mistake. To, that's a big thing to mess up. But I am skipping over the fact that with one of those Brooklyn picks, they had the number three pick in the draft, and when everybody wanted them to draft Chris Dunn, and Dragon Bender, he drafted Jalen Brown. But people thought he was going nine in that draft. Next year, they get the number one pick when there is a consensus number one pick that everyone, including myself, would have drafted. And even if they didn't think that he was the best player in the draft, probably would have drafted anyway just to save their job. Because who has the guts to draft the third best player, number one? Danny Ainge said, it may not be smart to draft this guy number one, but, oh, maybe we can fleece Philly into into giving us an extra draft pick for the guy that we were going to draft number one anyway. And we'll take the number three pick and get the best player in the draft. A move that was initially blasted because it was like, wow, you're you're really trading the number one pick for the fifth best player in the draft, as Nick Wright from Fox Sports said. And now we see what happens to Marco Fultz. Some of that's bad luck. A lot of it's bad luck. But I also don't think he would have been as good as Jason Tate. So... Ultimately, you know, look, the, the Kemba thing is also a really bad move. I don't blame him for that. He was a move that people, 95 out of 100 people would have made the same move, trading Terry Rogier for Kemba Walker after Kyrie Irving just left. 
So, I, I mean, again, if you want to blast him on that, you want to blast him on Kyrie, say he's an he's a overrated GM, fine. But you're ignoring 10 years of excellence. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, look, no people. Yeah, I feel you, fam. You just you got you know you got to represent for uh, Lucky and, <laughs> and 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 the squad. I, I I don't have any beef with that. Um, yeah, I mean, look, Brad, excuse me, uh, Danny. I get why people don't like him. I I don't I don't get the uh, distorting of the record in, for the sake of slandering him aspect. There's enough stuff to slander him on, period. Like, like he's, he's made enough mistakes. But the record is the record. I mean, um, he won them a championship. They oh, were a oh, very oh. relevant organization for the whole time, pretty much he was there. Uh, even after the whole Big 3 situation collapsed, he quickly rebuilt them into a championship, or at least an Eastern Conference contender again, hiring a college coach. A lot of people thought that was going to be dumb. That was a move I didn't even mention. That was... Also, an incredible move that no yeah, one would have yeah, made. Yeah, I mean, uh, and then he got killed for that. You make the conference finals three out of four years. He did a really good job. It's got okay. Turn I'm a, guys, Thomas. guys, I'm a Knicks fan. It's okay to say that. It's okay to say, do I? I hate the Celtics. I don't like the change. It's okay to say he did a decent job. Did he squander some things? Yeah. It was a perfect. Yeah. Did they sometimes? Uh, did. Situation he put them in, did they not, as I said, you know, fulfill their potential? Yes, I, I think that that all happened. Doesn't mean the guy was a bum. It doesn't mean he was a bad GM. Like, again, sometimes we get into this, like, hyperbole. Like, I don't know. Some of these people I see on social media and the way they talk now, about some guys and the way they talk about other guys, it just makes you make you look at the record and be like, wait a minute, this guy's accomplished way more than the guy you'd be caping for. Like, what? Like it don't make no the, sense, you know? The last so, thing I'll say. So that's, that's, know, that's how I feel about it. I don't want to go on this too long, but the the only thing I wanted to mention going into this is that don't discount. I, the only person I've seen say this, Jalen Rose, who Jalen Rose, we always talk about. He knows the inside more than yeah. a lot, a lot yeah. of people. The way Danny Ainge has acted the last year, but more so the last two weeks, made it to me clear that something was up because. When I listened to, he had an interview, a radio interview. He does radio interviews every week, but in Boston. But he did a radio interview this week after talking about the series, the Nets, Knicks, the Nets, Celtic series. After it was the day after the Westbrook popcorn incident, and they asked him about it. And first of all, they're like, "Where are you?" Because he's like walking around and stuff. He's like, "I'm on the golf course," which I'm like, "Jesus, like this." Playing the nets, like you're you're golfing, like what the what is going on? Like right. I, I immediately I'm like, wow, this guy's checked out. Like he knows we're not gonna win, but it, it, now it makes sense. Like he knew he was gonna retire, so it was like, yeah, yeah I'm golfing. And we know he knows he's not gonna we're not gonna win, and he's not the coach, and he knows he's retiring. So yes, he's golfing. But at the time, it was like, wow, like all right, talk about being checked out. But then also like. You know they're talking about the popcorn thing. And he's like, I don't even, I don't even know what happened. Like you just completely checked out. It was bizarre. That's the same time you made the comments about, you know, oh, I don't. I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen any incidents of racism, or I haven't heard any players express that or anything. And it was like that's what people were blasting. Like, man, this guy Ainge sounds, you know, out of touch. And mm-hmm. Jalen Rose pointed that out. And then there was a, there was the EJ. You know the Twitter account resist programming, right? Yes. Yeah, everyone knows that. <laughs> not everybody, but point being, if 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 you ever if if you ever see anybody <laughs> get get, you don't want to have any of your clips or former or old things quotes being posted by Resist Program. 
You know, like that's just not a good thing to have. And they posted a clip of Danny Ainge in 2019, not that long ago, talking at some sort of forum, just talking about how basically, you know, he wasn't telling the players to shut up and dribble, but he was basically saying, I don't like, you know, the players, you know, I don't need. Yeah, he said, like, I, take, I, I take no value in anything. The yeah, players anything feel. these players, NBA players have to say about politics, politics or, and, and, and things away from the basketball, basketball court, exactly. It was, it was a very dismissive comment to make, and like Jalen Rose, he was the only one to say it, like, He's like, that stuff, people heard that stuff, people didn't like that stuff. And, you know, like, I don't think that, I don't take, with the way the, the, the where, with the, the time we're at, as a society, the stuff that was talked about with the Kyrie and Boston stuff, and then with that, coming out at a similar time, and then Ainge saying the stuff he said, like, it's not a surprise to me that they were, that, that this happens now. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I feel like, look, Angels... And then, you, and then you replace him with a guy in Brad Stevens who's a very public, staunch Democrat. Not to say yeah. that... I'm not saying it's public. I'm not saying this is politics, but I'm just saying if you're trying well, look, to change yeah. the face of your of your, of your franchise, you're, you're getting rid of the old guy from BYU and replacing him with Pete Buttigieg 2.0, I think they're trying to help the image of the of the organization as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that... You know, Danny Ainge, the, I think, you know, those chickens were going to come home to roost when it comes to his views on the world, given where the NBA is today. They kind of, I feel like he's kind of skated away from that for a long time. His son is, 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 is a really big time politician in Utah, mm-hmm. you know, Republican, obviously. Mm-hmm. And you just, you just know how he... I mean, you don't know. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say I know anything about Danny Ainge's politics. He's very private about that. But you have suspicions about how how you feel about certain how certain people feel about certain things. Yeah, and so, I feel like the Ainge family and the things that they've endorsed and the things that oh, they, they've sent money to and things like that. Like you know, we know what yeah. time it is. So I've always thought his place in the NBA was very interesting, given his family willingness to be public about their political affiliations um so here we are so so yeah. so now he's that, out of it. Sis, now, so 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 did that play a part in it i'm not gonna say 100 that it didn't I, I i don't know for sure but um but it wouldn't surprise me if it did play a little bit of part i do want to uh just quickly mention um the knicks and their situation they're being them being eliminated in five games uh, obviously a disappointing end to what's been a Cinderella season for the Knicks. Uh, Julius Randle, who was sensational for much of the season, uh, turns into a pumpkin at midnight. Like, you know, there's no other way to describe it. I mean, he just did not live up to the billing that was needed for a star player in, in playoff basketball. I think Thibodeau, um, some of his deficiencies as a coach, seem to rear their ugly heads in some instances in this series. But when you look at the Knicks going into the offseason, this is going to be very interesting because I think there's going to be a impetus and a uh, feeling of you've got to uh, be aggressive and capitalize on this momentum. I mean, we saw how the Garden was rocking in these playoffs. And they were cheering for Reggie Bullock and, and Alec Bar- Burks. Like, like you, you you know other players around the league 
paid attention to what this looked like in terms of the atmosphere at the garden, the 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 way the life it brought to the city for this week, and then especially for this whole playoff run leading up to the playoffs. They know that it's a it's a different ball game if you get that stage of Madison Square Garden. So the question for me will be, will the Knicks be aggressive and maybe uh, reckless in that pursuit of a star to take that situation, or will they play this in a much more of a slow walk situation? They have these draft picks, they have a lot of cap room. Um, how will that approach be? Will be the the big question mark. Yeah, yeah, this is a classic situation of a team that wants to compete but isn't championship level right now. Mm-hmm. And so they're they're at a position where – and they have the assets to, to become championship level, but they have to ask themselves, how close are we to winning a championship if we make these moves? Or should we be patient? until we get to that level and until the league kind of clears out in terms of ability to win a championship, uh, especially the Eastern conference. Um, ultimately I think the Knicks are going to, I, I think they're going to be aggressive. I think you agree with me. Uh, I think they're going to be aggressive. It, it just, what hurts them is the off season. The, the free agency class is as, is a really weak one in my opinion. Um, Next year is going to be really strong. So I would recommend that they be patient in free agency. And we'll, we'll dive into the Knicks offseason uh, even more so when we do a war, virtual war room video on them. But, um, you know, they, like I recommend they be patient. Um, don't sign anybody to any long-term deals uh, unless that guy is like a legit all-star player. Um, and just punt till next season. And you may be good enough to still make the playoffs until next year, but that's hard to do. There's going to be a lot of pressure on this team next year. There was no pressure on them this year, but there's going to be expectation to repeat what they did this year. And I don't know if that's, it's not impossible, but I don't know if it's going to be easy. So, yeah, I mean, every year somebody becomes available. That's become a thing. We don't, we don't know who it is. We still, it's too early to predict who that guy will be. Beal is a candidate. Lillard is a candidate now. Um, Carl Anthony Towns may be available. You don't know. But whoever it is, the Knicks will be in the market to get that guy. Um, I made the case to you last night when we had a discussion about it. I think the Knicks should be very aggressive in trying to get Colin Sexton. I think 24-year-old. Yeah, I, 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 I don't want to hear about no Colin Sexton. He's a 22-year-old guard who averaged 24 points a game, shooting 47% on the field. In today's NBA... I mean, like, I mean, let's keep it real. What would Knicks fans be saying about R.J. Barrett if he averaged 24 points a game? He'd be like, this guy's a second coming, regardless of how herky-jerky and how we feel about his game. You know, because Colin Sexton, I don't love his game. Like, he's a little, he's very high volume. He's undersized. He's herky-jerky. You know, it's not the prettiest game, but, you know, the guy is, is a first of all, he's a bucket getter, and he plays with an intensity and a tenacity and a toughness that can't be ignored, so... And what happened in this series with Trey Young dominating the way they did and them having very little response would not have happened with Colin Sexton because Colin Sexton used himself as, at the very least, an equal to Trey Young. Then something the Knicks didn't have, other than maybe Darryl Rose, who loved himself as an elder to Trey Young, which is like, a, I don't know if that's something you really want 
<laughs> from your from your point guard battling this guy. But um, so yeah, that's the guy I would target as a cheaper, not a high money option. You may have to give us some assets. Uh, maybe you take on Kevin Love. I, you know, all the stuff that Knicks fans are gonna be like, all oh, gross. I gotta give up two first round picks, or I gotta take on Kevin Love. But it's all about what do you want to do to compete and still keep on to your asset base, you know? Now, maybe I'm still stuck in my Celtics mindset of that's what the Celtics did for years was try and do a half measure. You know, you don't go all in. You try and, you know, make uh, incremental moves before the big move gets there. You know, right now, that's how I would approach it. I just think to me, I mean, Sexton to me, he gets a lot of unnecessary bashing. I don't want to be someone piling on to that. He's a good, young, talented player. I just think the numbers he puts up in Cleveland, I think some of that is a little bit of a, a mirage, given just how sorry the Cavs, are, the Cavs are. He's a good player, but I don't see him as a... I know there's a thing that no one's going to lie, but I don't, he, to me, he's not a 24-point scorer type of guy on a team that's winning anything. And at a certain point for the Knicks, yes, I mean you are in agreement that I don't know if I'm giving it all to swing for the fences on one guy. But you also need to start putting guys on this team that make sense as you move forward. What made this team so great or good, at least this season, was that it seemed like the guys that they had really bought into a culture and a, and, and a style of play and a mentality and, you know, Sexton is hard nosed, but there, you know, there's also a little bit of that kind of me, me, me way of playing, and uh, sometimes he has necessary. Sometimes, sometimes he hasn't necessarily yeah, display. He hasn't display. He hasn't displayed sometimes the greatest basketball IQ on the court, and no. for his for his talent, I just don't know if that's a guy I'm throwing into this Knicks thing they got going. What they're trying to establish is he young enough to be impressionable enough to get him to play the right way? Possibly, and I get why maybe there's some intrigue there, but I, I would look to a different option if I was the Knicks. Like I prefer like a Malcolm Brogdon type if you were going to go that route, because whatever this, the route is, the first the first order of business is fix, figuring out what the point guard situation is. I think we all agree on that. Like I mean, maybe if unless you know Bradley Beal comes available or something like that. Like I think. If we are going this incremental route, they got they got to figure out the point guard situation. Um, shout out to Trey Young; uh, he played an incredible series. He certainly, um, if there were people who were still doubting him or people who were uh, not as uh, not would not did not pay attention much to Atlanta this year, they now know what kind of star he is. I mean, the guy is dynamite, and the Knicks were the worst possible matchup to play against a guy like him. Um, I don't think Tibbs helped him out with not putting out Franklin Lakina to give him a little more length and some quickness. Uh, but, you know, Trey Young's a star. He was going to get his no matter what, probably. So uh, so the Knicks, to me, that's going to be the first order of business. Is you got to get a guy who can orchestrate your offense, get you guys easier shots. Um, and I think there's going to be a big question mark of whether or not you extend Randall. Uh, I, I, you know, usually again, I'm very opinionated. I'm very willing to kind of jump out there and say I'm sure on something. I am unsure about this decision because if you sign him to this $26 million annual salary, four years, I guess that's 107 or 108, whatever the numbers come out to, you know, it's much different than the, you know, five years, you know, nearly 200 million. They may have to give him 
if he has another big year and you go into free agency and he makes another all NBA team. Like that's that's a whole different dollar sign, dollar you know, value you're looking at. You're looking at ten million dollars annually difference in that kind of deal. But then the the question is, are you certain he's a twenty six million dollar player? And before this season, I, I would have been more inclined to say, yeah, 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 he's he's a really good player. Yeah, I mean, before this postseason, right? I mean, I did not like what I saw, man. I saw a guy who didn't have the, the right temperament, who seemed to 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 to, to uh, shrink a little bit under the bright lights. And no, it wasn't for any of the, the for any of that. Yeah, and, and 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 when you see the other team's young star player, I know he had a much easier matchup. And I'm not taking anything away from Trey Young by saying that. But I'm sorry. Going up against, you know, a defense geared up to stop you and you got, you know, Hunter and Collins on the ball and Capella in the paint. Is this a lot easier than Reggie Bullock in in, in Derrick Rose? You know, it's an easier matchup. And, and you know, don't kill those guys, but you feel like if Randall is that $26 million player, he should have been able to match him at least a little bit. And he played five terrible games in a row. Five. And I'm not talking about decent or one of the games he's okay. They were all terrible. Like, I mean, I don't know. I just, I've seen these other, we've seen some incredible performances. You got Dame Lillard scoring 55. I know his team just got bounced out of the first round. And, and he didn't have the greatest deciding game six. But Dame going crazy on the road. We saw what Trey did. Um, we've seen what Luka has done. We've seen these other guys rise up to the occasion. And you see Randall who Nick fans, we've been behind him saying he is just as good as these other guys. He's a legit star. You see him just look nowhere near like those other guys. It just it it's it's a tough question. Um and I don't I don't know if I have the, the right answer to it. My my head tells me you're probably better off just giving him that extension. But my gut is really making me wonder if he's worth that money. Like like I don't think this year was a fraud per se, but I'm just wondering, you know, to me, I, I I don't think he's a number one option on championship team. I think that that was, I think, pretty much solidified. So what is he as a number two? And did you see anything that made you feel like he would work as a number two on a championship team? And my gut right. tells me the answer is no. And if that answer is no, my gut tells me that you should not sign him to that extension unless he proves you otherwise. But if you don't, and then next year you have just thirty, and now you're okay. Well, now you got to pay him. Now you're looking at paying him at a much different number. So it's a it's a quagmire. It's a quagmire, um, without question. But I do got to say, man, watching you know the Portland Trailblazers come up short again, I just you just can't. And then seeing you know what Trey did against the Knicks at the Garden, you just feel like, man, this thing is set up for Damian Lillard to be the guy at at Madison Square Garden answering the bell to that kind of challenge. I don't know. I think the Knicks can get it done. It will take, I think, pretty much their whole roster to do it. I'm I'm wondering if Portland is going to be looking into this offseason. I think Terry Stotts is, is dead man walking. Like, at a certain point, you got to think that you got to move on from this nucleus, right? Like, Absolutely. Like, to me, this felt like this watching. felt like the end. This felt like the end today. You couldn't beat the Denver Nuggets without Jamal Murray. Yeah, I think them and Washington both have to look at their star players and say, "Look, we can." Because it's similar to the Knicks. Like, there's two ways of looking. At, there's two ways of looking at it. Is it 
do you move the other pieces on the team and hope that you can get a guy or a collection of guys that fit better with your star to make you competitive or do you move your star player or it it, it is the value of the other guys next to your your superstar enough to get a guy or get a collection of guys that can help you compete with portland i don't think i don't think it is like i don't think you can get anything for nurkage and mccollum whatever else they've got that's gonna be able to get somebody to compare with dame that's gonna be able to beat anybody in the west and so you're not gonna at that point the answer is the window is pretty much closed unless dame goes to another level which he can't go to another level he's already an mvp level point guard so you have to you have to make the tough decision of saying given where dame's at with his career you know he's going to be a free agent at some point in the near future. Like he's on his he's on his second deal. You know you're gonna have to you're gonna have to make the move to probably move on from him because his value is never going to be higher than it is right now. Because he's not going to be a free agent next year. So you could you know you could feasibly trade him to any team. As we saw with Harden, if a guy says he's not resigning there long term, they can it'll still be trepidation to trade for a guy. But he signed long term. But you also don't feel like you're going to win a championship with that guy. So, yeah, I, I mean, you can, yeah, I would trade Damian Lillard. I, I, not only because Damian Lillard, because they're struggling, but because they have to look at where they're at as a franchise. Like, even and, if Damian Lillard doesn't ask for a trade, I think if I was the new GM in Portland, I would maybe not put him on the block, but I would seriously consider what can I get for Damian Lillard? If I can get a yeah. King Ransom and a better young player that I like, man, a better but a really good young player that I like, and another star that maybe I like, yeah, absolutely. And to me, it gets it just gets to a point where it's just, uh, to me, it just gets to a point where you're just trying to sell tickets, like, like, like Damian Lillard will sell tickets, bring money, revenue in. You'll probably make the playoffs every year, but, and look, when you're Portland, that may just be enough. But, yeah, you know, a lot of that is about just making sure you don't get relocated. But the know? question, but then the question becomes, is it enough for him? And again, I feel like I saw signs late in the season that it is not good with him anymore. He's been very loyal. He's been very much that I'm never going to do a super team kind of guy thing. But I started to see cracks in that in that shield in that in that in that uh, disposition late in the season. If he's not on the Blazers next year, I would not be surprised. And you talk about the teams that will be looking and eyeing for a star, the Knicks will be in, at the front of the line for anybody that becomes available. Can they pull and, the deal off? Will they be willing to? That, kind of I don't player, know, but they're going to be there. Is Damian Lillard the kind of player where you give anything it takes to get? Like, it's like that's what they're going to have to do. The bidding war for Damian Lillard, if he becomes even slightly available, he signed through 22-23. So it's two and he has seasons. an option for 24-25. I mean, 23-24. No, I think he signed to 23-24. So not Maybe I got that wrong. But regardless, he's got the at least he's there. He's going to be here for the next at least two to three years. So I think if I'm the Pelicans, everybody but Zion, every asset but Zion on the table. If I'm Miami, everything but Bam on the table. And that's what's gonna be that's what's gonna be dangerous. That you got these uh, these other desperate franchises that are gonna be trying to compete. Yeah, he's also walking into this super max money 
43 yeah. million to start next year. 20, then it goes to 47, 50, it, and that player 50, option for yeah. 54 in 2025. Yes. Yeah. What do you think? I, you know, something happened. But, I mean, but for the Knicks, you know, it's 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 going to be interesting because it's like the Nets were in a position where they knew they were forming, they were getting the last Infinity Stone. So right. the draft picks, whatever it took, it didn't matter. The Knicks are not there. Dame is not the last Infinity Stone to win a championship. So can you afford to just give it all up? Because that's I, I agree with you. That's what it's going to take. The assumption that you make when you trade for Damian Lillard is that you are – that this is like LeBron signing with the Knicks or signing with the Lakers. Mm-hmm. That LeBron signed with the Lakers with no one else, no other star player there, but that he knew that they would get another guy. Now, it was different because he signed there, didn't have to give up all these assets, so it was like we have all these assets – not a whole lot, but we got a decent young player base, so we knew we'd be able to trade for a guy. Dame is the guy you were trading for. It's more akin to them trading for Melo, you know, and hoping that they could they could win with him and Amari. But yeah, no, I mean, I it's it's a risk. It's a risk either way. Um, but I think that they're that's why I say. The best, the best way of going about this for any team is still to build through free agency, and then you, and then you make that move. Because unless you think Randall is good enough to be a part of that, like if you think Randall is Paul Pierce in your future big three of that guy who's already there and you made a couple of trades, then yeah, you're not. Then you can make a trade for Lillard, and if you can, especially you can keep Randall. But if you don't think Randall is good enough to be a part of that big three, it's dicey, man. What's his trade value? So, yeah, I mean, these are all interesting, interesting, interesting questions when it comes to the future of that of that franchise. But Thibodeau, he is the guy long term, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that you know any overreactions to a team that was picked to finish last in the playoffs, losing in the first round, is foolish. Yes. I mean, yeah. You know, I, I look, and some of it is just people like to just clown on the Knicks. They like they've literally been waiting all season. They haven't been able to clown on the Knicks. So they've tried. Like when they win and people are cheering, they're clowning Knicks fans. Like they tried all year. They haven't had a reason. So, so some of this stuff has been over the top. Um, yeah, he's the guy. I mean, you know, he, there were issues this this uh, this this regular this uh, postseason. I had problems with some of the things he did. I also am realist. Realist to also understand. Trey Young's pretty damn good, and they got a lot of good shooters on that team. And the Knicks, as individuals, they don't stack up to the team they played. Yes, and they their best player, it's like and their best, just, they, yeah, and their best player who control. normally, right? He can't, he can't, he can't make Randall. Julius Randle put the ball in the basket. Yeah, right? make shots, make shots. Yeah. He's made all year. He's made all season, right? It, could he have made it a little easier for him? Maybe, but again, right. he, he that shouldn't. Uh, you know, shout out to Wally Zerbiak. I thought he made a great point that. If you're a head coach going to the playoffs, like Julius Randle is the kind of guy you shouldn't be worried about trying to get going. Like you're trying to worry about everybody else in the team, your role players, your young players, your guys who haven't been here before. I know Julius hasn't, but he's a veteran in the league. Like your your all star twenty four and ten guy is not the guy you're saying I need to make sure he's comfortable. <laughs> like he's he's supposed to kind of hold the fort down as you try to get everyone else in. Him not ever getting going puts his behind an incredible eight ball. Um, so yeah, I don't want to freak out about losing to a, a, 
you know, they're a team that's feeling themselves right now. I don't think they're as good as they think they say they are. But they won, so they, you can't really talk much about it. Uh, but you, they lost yeah, to a good, they lost to a good team. Huh? No, oh, never mind. I was just no, going to so, <laughs> I'll leave you No, I was saying the Hawks, I mean, they're a good team. You know, they're, they're talking a lot of trash and whatever. They're a fine team. I think that they're feeling themselves a little bit because they got the New York spotlight and nobody's cared about anything they've done all season despite them having a good year because nobody cares about Atlanta sports. But uh, but nonetheless, I think that Tibbs is definitely the guy. You know, now you know, is he the guy to take you to the promised land? And we'll, we'll see, you know? Could he be the yeah, – I've, the I've always, in my gut, felt like Tibbs may be the guy that gets you to the guy that wins you a championship. I don't know that for sure, but that's always that was always the feeling I had because I was not pro-Tibbs in terms of them hiring him initially. So – and that's the – and, like, he's still important. Like, that doesn't mean, oh, the, like, what he does doesn't matter. Like, I, first of all, I hope he does win a championship. But also, what he does during this time, if I do think that he maybe is the guy that gets you to the guy that wins a championship, is still valuable and important. So it's not like, just fire him now and get to the next guy. They got to continue the process. A lot was built uh, on this season, and there's a lot to be proud of, but there's still a long way to go. And whether or not they take the slower approach, whether or not they they – they get aggressive will be interesting and they have the access to get aggressive. So with all the draft picks and, and, and salary cap uh, room they have. Um, and as we're about to wrap this show, but yeah, we, we do know the Lakers, Lakers, we do know the Lakers are, are now officially eliminated that second half. They, they, they fought a little they bit. Fought. Yeah. yeah. They made it interesting. They didn't just completely lie down, but uh, Devin Booker was clearly not going to let them lose in Phoenix. 47 points in this game. Um, Look, man, again, I, I said I said Suns in six. I had no idea the series was going to go this way in terms of Chris Paul getting hurt and then AD getting hurt. I did feel like injuries would be a factor because the Lakers didn't come in healthy. But, uh, I mean, this is a disastrous end for the Lakers. I mean, I'm sorry. I got to say it. I'm already seeing it. Like, I'm just tired of these people just, like, running to these qualifications and excuses for – LeBron and the Lakers being bounced out of the first round. Just, just can we not <laughs> like they're the Lakers and it's LeBron. Like at a certain point, if you want to be held to the highest of standards, which each of them want to, you have to be held to that standard. It can't only be praising you for greatness when you reach that standard. Like at a certain point, you got to also be like, this thing didn't work out at all. And anybody with a brain can look at this and say, this was a rough year. And, it doesn't take away from his championship last year. It was an incredible, one of the most incredible championship runs you'll see from a guy his age and for what that team did. But the the short turnaround, I think, definitely bothered them. And I think they're going to have questions to answer next season for load management and keeping these guys healthy. I've, I've said this. I don't know if I said this on the pod, but I told you personally. No one has broached the question of whether or not LeBron being able to take three months off and AD be able to take three months off in the middle of the season helped keep those guys fresh enough to win a championship. Like, right. LeBron, the last time he tried to play a season straight through, the last two years, he got hurt. Yeah. And it's not a diss to LeBron. He's 36 years old, whatever the hell he is. Like, at a certain point, your, your body does break down. And I think that the, the Lakers haven't done the greatest job to be honest of keeping him upright like 
he's not the same guy he was when he was 25 years old in Cleveland playing 82 games. He plays a lot of minutes. He doesn't take games off. And um, I think it caught up to them in this, in, this, in this series. And we know AD has been just banged up all year. And this is this is this is the result, you know. It's not ideal. I think the Lakers are. I don't think the Lakers are finished. I think that they will be among the teams that are in the mix to win a title again next year, or at least get to the finals for sure. But uh, I don't know. I just, it 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 feels like it just to, to me this team just feels too much like his he- it hedges on AD and LeBron just being so great. And those other guys last year played great along with those guys. But this playoff run, it, is, it didn't seem like these guys were up to that same level. Kuzma, for a guy who's a veteran, seems to still play, seems to make, still make a lot of mental errors and still plays too erratic. Um, They don't got great point guard play still. No, Kuzma's regressed. I mean, it's, it's yeah. bad. Yeah, they, I, mean, I mean. They made a, like... Again, all these GMs, you know, first of all, I, I don't like it, it goes back to the Ainge Stevens thing of it. Winning a championship isn't to me the the, be, the best evaluator of how good you are as a, a head coach and especially an executive in the NBA. But like Rob Rob Polinka, you know, him and was it, it was him that made the move to move Kuzma, move Ingram instead of Kuzma. And now, we could argue, look, I don't know, maybe the Pelicans said they really wanted Ingram. I don't know. But that was a bad decision, you know. And sometimes bad decisions doesn't, don't they don't mean that you won't win a championship. But, you know, it hurt them this year. If they had Brandon Ingram, maybe they'd get by. I don't know. Yeah, it, like, it, it, it's, I mean, to me, it, it stem comes down to, the, the Lakers are an NBA jam team. They have two guys. If either of those guys have any problems, they're extremely beatable. Right. You know? Like, those guys... It was Last year was a magical year, and we you talk about... We talked about it on this podcast. Like, you know, winning a championship, a lot of it is luck. And and injury luck is a part of that. You know, again, it's not... You know, because these people take just any kind of statement any kind of slander it's not slander like it, it, the, the Lakers are fortunate that LeBron and AD I think even more so AD like really didn't deal with any injury issues last year anything major that could have really been a detriment yes. um they didn't build a roster that 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 was good enough Fair to overcome time. anything like yeah. that like Kyle Kuzma came into this year still as their third best player yeah they signed Dennis Schroeder they signed Montrez Harrell those moves are good on paper. Um, I remember they didn't want to like play. They didn't want to play Harrell. Yeah, he didn't even help them. Um, I, I remember not really loving the Dennis Schroeder move. Yeah, I, you I, were. You were. I I thought it was great. You you were. You know what did they? I don't remember. They gave him a first round pick. Um, and they just ate the cap space. But I remember being like, man, you know, that's your answer. You know, I, I and, I, and I think you made a good point that, like, you know, point guard LeBron was the best version of the Lakers. It's the best version we, yeah, it's the best version we saw of LeBron. Yeah, and, and it's the best Rondo, version of I think it's the best version for the Lakers in terms of their right. success. And and we saw while Rondo they wanted to emulate what they had with Rondo, um, 
Rondo wasn't worth fifteen million or whatever the whatever Dennis Schroeder was worth, and a first round pick. Like, I feel like you could have found someone else to give you that same whatever Dennis Schroeder is giving you. Like, you could have found that on the free agent market, and maybe you would have got a guy in the draft that also could have helped you. Um, and with the cap space that you had, they used to eat up Dennis Schroeder's deal. Maybe you could have used to get someone else that helped you. Like, I don't know. I just I, I thought. It, it it sounded good on paper because people think Dennis Schroeder and, and look this is somebody in me that I loved Dennis Schroeder coming out of Germany I coming into the draft I thought he was Rondo 2.0 um, and he scarred out a good career I don't want this he scarred out a good career I, 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 I don't I don't want I don't want this to, I don't want this to sound like a, a we're gonna just yeah I don't, I don't Schroeder. look at it as a scouting loss you know I don't he's not as good as I thought he would be but uh, I think he's better than a lot of people thought he would be mm-hmm. um, but. He, but it's, it, it it wasn't a good fit, and you know he hurt himself financially, um, with this going. You did, know. did you see before the game tonight? He took a, a some of the stuff happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was one, two, three games. <laughs> he took off his bio, point guard for the Lakers. He was just yeah, blank. He, he knew. What I was mean, going. it's like, what are y'all doing, man? Like, he saw AD shoot around. He was like, oh. Let me <laughs> Yo, he saw that AD workout. He's like, yo, this ain't it. <laughs> yo, pack your bags, man. Cabo so what and, happens uh, to the Lakers? Cabo man? tomorrow I mean, morning. They don't have many paths to getting good. They don't. I mean, they're not drafting. Super we say that, man, but the Lakers always find a way. Like we say, the Lakers don't got a path. I don't know how many times I've said that. Somehow they end up with. Pogasol. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay, I guess they did have a path. I, don't. I mean, they're drafting at 22. Like that's not you can find a good player at twenty two. Yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, we'll we'll dive into that more so. But I mean, Tankathon has him being Jaden Springer, which a lot of people made. Yeah, I don't know who they did, but I mean that that's a good prospect to get on a team like this. But ultimately, that's also not the difference in whether they're going to win a championship. But yeah, it's they're in a weird spot. Yeah, I mean they're over the cap. Um, you know, Schroeder is a free agent. He seems very apprehensive of. Signing with the Lakers, given it don't sound like they're very adamant of giving him twenty million dollars a year. He's looking for Drummond's a raise. Gone. Yeah, I you didn't. would think you would think Drummond's gone. Yeah, I mean he he he. They didn't want to start him tonight. Harold, that thing didn't work. Yeah, I mean Harold, one year deal, prove it deal, and I, I mean, mean does Harold look, does Harold pick up his option? He didn't make himself any money. Maybe he does. It's nine million, nine nine point seven. I mean, that might be risky for him to not take unless he unless is the less. I mean, this experience might have been so bad for him. He might just be like, "Yo, get me out of here, no matter what." But yeah, I don't know, Rich Paul. But, I mean, not, nine point nine point seven million is not necessarily like that's not chump change considering how he played this year. Like he might have to just he might have to just take that money and try to try to 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 do something next year. And it's not like he was terrible. He had, I mean, he he played okay, but he also know, has to understand if he opts in, he he could very well get traded as well, which may not matter. But you know, that is true. You don't get to pick where you're going next season. Um, yeah, no, nah, I mean, this they don't have many passing. I mean, look, Kuzma is the guy, but Kuzma's value is is low. Like, I mean, it, like if 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 you were talking about adding Kuzma to the Knicks, like, what kind of player are they getting back? In a vacuum, like the Rock, Kevin, like Kevin that they Knox. had last year. 
Kevin I mean, Knox in a second round. Yeah, pick, that's probably. what I'm saying. You're getting Knox in a, in a like you said, a second. For Kuzma. That's not helping the Lakers at all. We were talking to Celtics, and I was like, oh, we were trying to get Kyle Kuzma. What do we have to give up? I don't know. Neesmith? <laughs> yeah. Langford? Grant Williams? Like, it, it, I'm not giving up anything that I think is 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 is, is important. So yeah, it's, it's, it's just I mean I mean they're look it it definitely again when you have LeBron AD it's not like you're you know the sisters of the poor but LeBron's it, not getting any younger they're, man they're in a weird spot again like you said LeBron's going to age uh his age thirty seven season the worst AD pro season di- performance of his career yeah AD didn't um couldn't stay healthy. Because again, we say this about we say this stuff about LeBron where it's like we've never seen this before. Because yes, I mean his him being like arguably the best player in the league at this age is is fairly unprecedented. But I almost it's similar to the Kobe thing in 2011, where it's like man, we at that point thought Kobe was one of the best players in the league. Maybe I mean we thought of LeBron at that point, but Kobe was in the conversation for a top five, top ten player in the league. Ultimately, the Achilles injury is what took him out of it. But I'm not saying, like, look, look I mean, yeah, of course, LeBron and gets seriously eight. hurt. Yes, he's going to jump out of it as well. But I'm just saying that when you get to that age, we thought it was impossible to think that Kobe would just fall off. We thought he'd be Tom Brady. But at some point, you know, you, well, what I'll say is you can't plan for LeBron to be an MVP level player for the next two years. I, I, Maybe I sound like maybe I'll sound like Max Kellerman four years from now, where I'm like LeBron's gonna fall off a cliff. But I, I feel like the signs if if there was ever a sign, first of all, it's LeBron saying I'm 99. percent I'm never gonna be 100 percent again. You know, like, and also, it's what we saw in this postseason. So that's really scary if I'm a Laker fan. Um, it's really unfortunate if you're a LeBron fan, which is probably more of them than they are Laker fans, sadly enough. Uh, <laughs> Don't say the Lakers fans. That's fluent fighting words. Hey, Ken was like, hey, Ken was like, fight I, me. I don't care. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Oh um, man, the Celtics, I, Celtic you know, fan, the Celtics swagger is still there, despite this. Uh, <laughs> All the smoke, man. We call our podcast <laughs> some of the smoke. Oh uh, <laughs> no, yeah. So yeah, I to, ultimately, yeah, this is bad. I mean, this vocal will keep his job. I, I can't justify firing a guy after he won a championship. I've seen some people saying, "Oh, Vogel doesn't win this like that. He's out of this." I think I don't. I, that's cra- might have saved. Yeah, that's crazy to me. I don't. I don't understand why Harrow was glued to the bench. I need to find someone. Needs. I need to get that. I mean, Snoop Dogg was going crazy on social media. Jackie McMullen made it I really understand it on 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 the Ringer. When she, she mentioned that, she thinks that a promise was made to Andre Drummond. And I, I think there was a promise made to the to Drummond that if you sign here, you're starting. Like, but why would you make a promise to a guy that's on a one year deal? That you, what do you oh, like, you're saying why wouldn't you renege on this? Yeah, who cares? Or why would you promise him anything? Oh, okay, maybe promise well, him to get I mean, him, get him on the team. But like, who cares? So once he pro. once he's killing your team, he's going to the bench. That seems... he's on a minimum he's on a minimum salary deal. There's no the point of signing him is that he's supposed to be no risk. 
So, so what's the point of 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 like pursuing a promise that is hurting your team? How does that make any sense? Andre's Drummond. I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm saying if it did, that's that's really dumb to me. Uh, Andre Drummond's agent is Jeff Schwartz. I mean, of, of Excel Sports. That's not somebody that you want to. Especially if you're Rob Palenka. Who knows Jeff Schwartz? So you want to cross Rich Paul? Very well. I don't know if a promise was made. Crossing Rich Paul. I mean, LeBron. I don't know. I mean, I mean, I'm because Rich Paul represents Harold. It's not, it's not an enviable spot to be. But if a promise was made to Andre Drummond, I don't know what to do. I don't know how, I don't know how to help you. You know? It, it's, the, it's the nasty side of the game. But that's what it felt like. Because like you said, there's no basketball reason why Drummond was still out there. And you don't even try Harold. That's the thing I don't get. He didn't play till today. Like, well, I mean, he may play early today, but he, he played very little. I think he played a total. I saw he played a total of 40 minutes this series. And, this uh, yeah, was, I, and to I, me, this was going to be a run-and-jump series. Like, why would you think you need more Gasol and more Drummond? Maybe I'm making the case that Fogel shouldn't be the coach. I'm just saying, that to me, I think he should be the coach, AD. but that was the only thing I look at in the series I say. You got to help your out. Like, just like with Tibbs, there are things you got to say. You got to help yourself out with some things. That's something where, I mean, I'm talking about them playing Frank, and Frank, you know, the six-point score. I mean, Harold averaged, like, 13 points. He didn't play him. Like, the, the that, that to AD me is a little hard to understand. He was, and... LeBron was as suspect as he was in terms of his performance. Makes me think that Vogel's not going anywhere. He ain't because he ain't he ain't going nowhere. That 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 would be a really uh, hasty move to, move to fire a guy when his two best players were gimpy in the first round and he didn't have much help afterwards. Besides those guys, it's as he just won a championship the year after, the year before. Like, what message does that send to the next guy that you hire? That, uh, yeah. Look, you can win a title, but if we don't get if we don't go to the finals every year, you're gone. Like I don't know, man. I, I, do I don't wanna, think he's going anywhere. But this, this thing is cutthroat when you're talking about coaching LeBron, man. I do want never um, lost in the first round of the playoffs. Like <laughs> of all the coaches that have been out, ousted, David Black got fired after a finals run. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. Again, don't know. but to me, it just you know he can't. Tell AD to stay healthy. He can't tell Kyle Kuzma not to shoot twenty nine percent. Like, yeah, know, some of his stuff is like. Did you did you see some of the stuff with Devin Booker after the game or not after the game during during the end of the game? Yeah, he was very cantankerous. I mean, I I love it. Some people thought it was bad sportsmanship. You know, I mean, look, we're not playing little league. You know, again, Kyrie stepping on the logo was a bad sportsmanship. Sure, it's not little league. He can do whatever he wants. You know. I mean, oh, I, I, I got into a large fight with a guy with Trey Young's antics at the game one. I think that it's all relative. I mean, to me, uh, you know, he's beaten the Los Angeles Lakers, the defending champs. A guy and there was a lot of animosity. That never made the playoffs. A lot of back and forth. You know, Schroeder and those guys, him and, him and those guys, they went, they went back and forth a lot through the series. Like, if Luka ends the Clippers in game six and he does the same stuff, I'm not gonna be. I'm not gonna yeah. be upset at Luca. He probably. I'm, I'm, we need more. We need more of this than what we've had. Yeah, we need more pettiness in basketball than what we've man. had over the last ten years. We've had just buddy buddy, rah rah team up, patty cake basketball. Like 
And Booker has not like, been. That's the one thing you can say about Devin Booker. You can say a lot about it, but he's not afraid of the smoke. Yeah, like we need we need more of of this. I mean, it was more fun. It was more intense. Like <laughs> he dunked. He, I, he dunked. He, he dunked at the end of the game, and all the Lakers were looking at him. He was like, "What? What?" Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, yeah. man, bad dude, man. Devin, look, man, these young cats, Trey, Luca, Devin Booker, you guys are drama rant. These guys are bad dudes. De- Donovan Mitchell, like, I look. I know we got that. Yeah, Jason Tatum for sure. Like, yeah, I know we got that three-headed monster in Brooklyn, but they better protect their neck because these young cats is coming, man. These young cats are killers. And they're coming. And it's going to be... They may have this run these next three years, but there are some dynamite players in this league. And once once we have another reshuffling of these stars and they start to play together... The old three old guys are free agents next year, as is LeBron. Yeah, once they start thinking we should play together... Yeah. Again, it may be scary hours for the Nets and not in a good way. Yeah, there there, are there's some... going to be franchises. The The key to a lot of these teams right now has got to be which team can turn their guy into the D-Wade that recruits the other guys to go to their team. You know? And it's, yeah. it's a weird thing to be in. Like, it's a weird position to be in. Like, the Pelicans have to hope that Zion can get guys like Morant, guys like Devin Booker and other guys in his age group to want to play with him. And... On the other hand, the Grizzlies got to hope that Zion is LeBron and John Moran is is is, is uh is uh wait. Celtics got to hope that Tatum and Brown can recruit another guy. Like yeah, it's 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 very it's very bizarre situation. Uh, but but yeah, no, nah, this is this is dang, this is a dangerous time if you're a Laker fan. Congrats to the Suns fans who listened to this and thought and said these people say nothing about our team. I don't know how many Suns fans were listening, but um. Look, I think, the Suns, going, I think the Suns are going to the. I think that the Suns have the inside track to the finals. It's going to be tough with Chris Paul's injury. We got to see if he can work through this thing if it gets any better. But it feels like it's getting better with every game. To me, the Suns are the best team in the West. I think the, Dallas is going to the finals, but I, 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 no, I don't. I don't think that. I don't think they. I just don't. There, I don't trust their temperament, man. Luka is incredible, but. I don't. I don't know if they're getting out of this first round series. But. Well, Dallas and Utah. Like, I think whoever wins that series will. And I'm saying that as we yeah, don't know who yeah. won Clippers, but assuming Dallas wins, like, I, I think, I think whoever wins that series. I feel like Utah. I feel like Utah. Utah was very impressive. Like, we got to keep it a hundred. Like Utah. Utah. I mean, yeah, I mean, after Game One, with Mitchell not being out there. I tweet, I tweet, thanks to you guys. Like, I was like, they can't beat this team without Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. And what, a lot of stuff that you worried about on the show last week, like, I mean, that's what it looked like. It looked like game one, everything about it. And I didn't, I don't think I even thought Donovan, and I said, like, I don't think there's no way you just drop a guy in and he plays the way Donovan Mitchell played, but that's exactly what he did. Now you see why he was so upset. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he can, he, he could go, clearly. He's not 100%, but he's good enough. He makes, I mean, he just makes them a totally different team offensively. They're so much more dangerous. They're they're serious. People who may be sleeping on them, maybe including myself, I think that we were sorely mistaken. If Mitchell's like that, 
they're going to be a problem for everybody. I still favor Phoenix, but yeah, man. Uh, boy, if we get Devin Booker versus Donovan Mitchell in the conference finals, maybe the league offices won't be happy, but I'll be happy. Because, again, those boys can play. Or if it's Luka and Devin Booker. Yeah, I said, or if it's Luka and Devin Booker. Them boys can hoop. And Joker's going to the next round. And, uh, you know, he's going to have something to say. There's some good – again, these young cats are coming. The league is, is – the, the evolution we're seeing, you know, Steph Curry is not in the playoffs. LeBron bounced out of the first round. This is about the next generation that we're seeing. The league right now is praying that the Clippers beat the Mavs. Because right now – Are they? You don't think they want Luka? I don't know about that. But they they want they want – a household name in if they can in the finals and if you don't think Luca is a household name not that Luca isn't but Kawhi is a bigger name I mean he won a championship obviously multiple championships but he's won championship very recently like they I think they'd rather and they'd rather that guy in that market be in the finals than any other team in the world now LeBron's out. Like LeBron's the guy, but now once LeBron's out, it's like, well, now we hope the Clippers win it. So which is why I say that I don't think they're mad if the if the, if if Dallas wins, then they want Dallas in the finals. Well, so I don't think you're I don't think you're like way off in your thinking, but I think ideally they'd want the the Clippers in the finals. Uh, I just want to make one note before we get out of here because uh, this has been a, this may be the longest sports podcast we've ever done. Um, AD on this loss said. Uh, Quote, uh, we we were rolling and had the pieces. We just couldn't stay healthy, and a lot of that was me. And he added that, you know, you know, you know a, a, a main piece that couldn't stay on the floor. A main guy who couldn't stay on the floor. So he's taking this loss hard. So I want to give a shout-out to AD, because it's not his fault. Like, you know, he played, he, when I watch him play, man, he plays hard. But that, that leads itself to injuries. Um, the other thing I want to point out is, did you see Dame Lillard's Instagram caption after today's loss? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> I feel like you should take a look because it's interesting to me. Um, I want to make sure I get it right, so I'm pulling it up now. Hey, yeah, his Instagram post, <laughs> the caption read, and shout out to the, the late, great Nipsey Hussle. Um, it's a quote from Nipsey saying, how long should I stay dedicated how long to opportunity meet preparation? It's him congratulating the Nuggets after getting beat. He's out of there, man. I'm, I'm calling it now. He's out of there. Man. Right? I mean, that's the only read on that, right? He's out of there. <laughs> how long should I stay dedicated? How long to opportunity meet preparation? Yeah. I mean, if we're if we're if we're playing the game of like any of this matters, then yes, that's what that means. What else could it mean? I mean, the only other thing that it can mean is nothing. Ultimately, like it could be now. Dame's a smart guy. He knows. <laughs> he knows how all this stuff is going to get taken. I would hope. So, yes, I, I lean that this probably means that. I'll say this: He's trying to get out of there. Will or not he he's successful may not completely be in his control, but he's trying to get out of there. This is day this is day one of him trying to get out of Portland, 
with that caption. How yeah, long man. should I stay dedicated? Like I said, the the it's the bidding war for Damian Lillard will involve every team, almost every team in the league. Yep, it'll be similar to when Kyrie was available. It was like, oh, I mean, every team in the league's gotta gotta think about trying to get this guy if he wants out. Like, I mean, Sacramento has to be like Dane from. Northern California. I feel like you said that before. I don't think anybody from Oakland like identifies with Sacramento on any level. <laughs> Which is why, yeah, very. It was why I said very carefully. <laughs> I, I, I don't. Know, I feel like I may have said that about the San Francisco thing. Like, oh, look, I mean, he's from, he's from Oakland. No, I, I think it was Maybe Sacramento before that. too. I'm pretty sure. I'm like Sacramento. Yeah. Nobody from Bay Area <laughs> messes with Sacramento on any level. But, but regardless, it's like, look, he's from Northern <laughs> California. You know, yeah. obviously the the Warriors are a little occupied at the at the guard spot, but mm-hmm. um, you know, like they have Darren Fox, but not going anywhere, and they have enough to get Damian Lillard. They're not gonna be any different than Portland, but like they're gonna be a lot of teams. And again, if you're talking about the teams that can win a championship or like are seriously trying to compete, does Miami have more than the Knicks? Probably not because they don't have the draft capital, but um. I tell Boston. you what, I wonder if the Bucks, if the Bucks regret giving up all those picks, if Damian Lillard does come available, because that's the guy that truly makes them a powerhouse. He he makes them. They could see Brooklyn if they got Damian Lillard. Absolutely, one hundred percent. In ways that while Holiday is great, it's different. It's different, yeah. Um, and again, I would uh, the Pelicans if they don't make a move. David Griffin, I guess you just, you know, you, he, you're waiting to lose your job, man, because I don't know how to help you. Like, yeah. you know, I know you don't want to be over aggressive, but what do you want if you're if you ask if you ask Portland, like, what do you want? But yeah, I, to me, like, I don't think Portland would be crazy to entertain this. Like, they don't have to trade him because he's there long term. But why keep him? You know, like, what what is he? What is happening with, with this roster? What is happening with this franchise? And given what you can get, I'm not trading him up for pennies. I want a king's ransom. I need all of your draft picks for the next four or five years. Pick swaps, everything. And I need, if not your best player, one of your best players currently and multiple prospects. Like does does Philly does Philly uh, inquire make the run and say you know the mistake we made with Harden we won't make with Dame Lillard? Man, that's a that's a scary thought. Yeah, it's I mean it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting, but I think it, it there will be a bidding war I think for Dame Lillard again. Whether or not Portland pulls on the trigger is maybe out of his control a bit, but there's gonna be a, a bidding war for sure. Lakers are gonna try. But they, I mean, they got nothing. They could be like, <laughs> I mean, they got nothing. Taylor Horton Tucker, though. I mean, <laughs> yeah, they got nothing. The Portland's laughing there, laughing there behind Portland, them on the phone, Dallas, like, hanging up on them. I mean, does Denver? Chicago. Look at what I, he, I thought about Denver. Yeah. Look at what he did to them, and say, look, I mean, Murray's coming off an injury. Yeah, but he's good though. Like you know, like you get yeah, Murray, but he's still yeah. Like, last time we saw him play, he was All Star level guy. Yeah. Like, I don't know. 
it'll be fascinating. Well, I mean, it's going to be a storyline we'll be discussing all off season. Same with Beal. You know, I think Beal will be also available on some level. So, it, I mean, if you're Chicago, the Chicago yes. yeah. Levine, do they say we've got Vucevic, but I'll give you Levine, Kobe White, all these draft picks, Pat Williams, all these draft picks. We're going to build around Dame. Now, all of a sudden, Chicago's a playoff team in the Eastern Conference. It's all possible, man. It's Every team in the league is going to be interested in this. Yeah, it's all, to me, can know it's all on the table. Does Boston say, look, we love the Jalen Brown thing with Amy Willard? I don't know. We'll see. I don't yeah. think so. But <laughs> the question is, do you have that? For sure. But, yo, man, we got to head out. I know this was a long podcast. For you guys that stuck around with us, man, really appreciate it. Of course, make sure you check out all of our shows on New Generation Podcast Network. That's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Also, be sure to check out our YouTube channel, Generation Media. There will be some new draft videos going up there uh, in the next coming days. So make sure you guys keep an eye on that. Also, be sure to check us out on social media. We're on Twitter, New Generation Pod, Instagram, New Generation Podcasts. And Facebook New Generation Media. Uh, also follow us uh, individually on social media. You can find Kendall on Twitter at NewGenKen. You can find me on Twitter at, NewGen, at EJ underscore Stewart. And on Instagram, ActionEJ. Thank you guys again for checking us out. For Kendall, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace.